Like, you guys, you're willing to trade your life for a bullshit thing. Like, you used oxygen, so you lowered the summit. It's like, yes, physically, geographically, whatever you're standing, you may be the guy who gets to stand on top of the highest place in the world. You wouldn't have gotten there without the ladders, without the ropes, without people carrying your shit for you, setting up your camp, looking after you, giving you bed tea, um, <laughs> uh, you, know, get, get, you know, carrying the oxygen bottles, making sure that, like, like all of these things that allow access are the things that when they break down will kill you, and I don't mind that happening because the mountain should win sometimes. Like, I think Everest is just like, look, you guys are trying to run a train, I'm good with 200, 250. That's a bit too much today. I'm sorry. I'm going to need a human sacrifice. It's showtime, everybody. Showtime. You've been living in a dream world, Neo. This is the world as it exists today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Listen, we're talking about practice. They peed on the dude's rug. Donnie, you're out of your element. I see. You think this has nothing to do with you. Don't ever trash talk black Jesus. This is The Adventure Stash with Payson McKelvin. Mark Twight, part two. If you haven't listened to Mark Twight, part one, uh, I'd recommend jumping back a couple episodes and listening to that first just to get an idea of who Mark is and uh, how we got to know each other. Um, in this second installment of our ongoing series, we talk a lot more about what he's up to currently, um, not so much about his climbing days, although towards the end we certainly get back to that uh, as conversation turns towards that horrifying photo that surfaced not too long ago of a traffic jam at the top of Mount Everest. Ugh. He's got all kinds of very um, strong thoughts about that whole situation. I think it might be pretty interesting to y'all. We also talk about his career as a Hollywood celebrity trainer. Um, he's worked on some of the biggest movies in the world. 300, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Many Between... Uh, 300 was the first movie that he helped train the actors for. And, uh, in terms of ripped bras, I think that 300 is probably up there. They have Mark to thank for that. It's pretty interesting to hear how he used male group dynamics to motivate all those actors. It's pretty funny stuff. Um, he also talks about, uh, his relationship with Jason Momoa. Um, and that evolves into a conversation about uh, just relationships in general, how it's important who you surround yourself with, why he will never trade off the back of friendships. Um, I thought it was uh, a, some pretty interesting conversation there regarding why we actually cultivate the relationships we do and, and what they mean. I hope you enjoy this uh, rather metal conversation with Mark Twight. We recorded it late late at night in his incredible podcast studio uh, at their headquarters in Salt Lake City really wet my appetite for having a, a recording studio of our own like that at some point um, but yeah this was a, a very late night recording uh, 
in a, a dark warehouse. Just two guys trying to figure out the world. Hope you enjoy. Okay, we're recording. We are now. What were you going to say? I, I was going to say, but but does it require color to inc- you know, to for it to be rich in a sense? And part of the we're reason talking the- about the aesthetic of all of the you that you have going on, and we're going to try to just describe what that is. <laughs> so, but it, but I think I mean for for a long time, my aesthetic has been black and white, and you know. Now there are gradations, let's say, of gray. Um, Refuge, the book that we made, is it's it's public. It's a duo. It looks like it's a black and white book, but it's actually a duotone. There's there are you know two colors at play in all of these black and white right. photographs, um, because that imp- it, it it increases the depth, the yeah. richness, the your it, the, the accessibility of an image as opposed to it just being stark with super hard edges and um, so. If this, as you said, is, a, is an incredibly rich environment, it does. I don't think it. I don't think it needs to have color for it to. I don't. I, let's see. I don't think if we were broadcasting in color that it would change the sense of. Maybe it would, and and I think some people maybe they come to it and they think like, oh, black and white. This is a, it's a fad. It's a trend. It's a thing. And I was like, I've been doing black and white for as long as I can kind of remember. Really, yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly. 25 years um but so what is <clears throat> we're at nonprofit headquarters it's actually we like to call it the nonprofit event center nonprofit event center <laughs> NPAC. and we, we there is uh a gym there is would you call it a crossfit gym or do you prefer not that title that's uh, well that would be a tying it to a particular brand because that's okay. what crossfit is and 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 it and but people would understand if you say oh it's a crossfit gym well there's a bunch of ideas that people have that would go with that right. um what it is is an empty space that we can repurpose for whatever we need there's a basketball um, hoop in it which i very much appreciated yes <laughs> how do you feel example. about the chain net it's fine i mean okay. it, it it works well with uh i hesitate to use the word brand but <laughs> it it works well with the the um, it would aesthetic. only so it would only be better if it was barbed wire. Is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. If um, the ball went flat it, after every successful it, shot. <laughs> it, that's perfect. Yeah. Okay. So but, there's but there's so there's a gym. There's and, a gym. And and right now that particular g- the gym is not open to the public, um, and is I think when I heard you talking with Michael about it, and he just said, look, it's just for it's for us. Mm. Essentially, we, there are. Um, on Wednesday nights, there's you know Body Flow by Michael, which is basically it's it's mostly structural integration and and body weight movement. It's teaching people how to live in, manipulate, and move in their own bodies. Um, and then Friday night is more of a uh, like like something that you might see in a functional gym or whatever. It's not Fuck You Friday because that was my old business um, where we thought that was clever, but. Uh, <laughs> But now it's just so those two classes, and then Aaron does a couple of classes each week out there, and the rest of it is for us to experiment. And um, you know, every now and then it's to train clients one on one. You also notice that it can be repurposed for a gallery. When we teach our symposiums, that's where that happens. When we do any kind of live event, that happens. The, the majority of it, the big crowd gathers there, as opposed to 
um, and then they, they will filter through the other spaces, you know, where we have stuff going on. But um, so okay, there's the gym. <clears throat> Walk in from the gym. There is an office space. There is a gallery with yes. beautifully framed photographs, each individually lit. It's I mean it's a it's a true gallery. Um, there's this wonderful podcast lair, which is very <laughs> professional, soundproofed, <laughs> lots of glorious gear that I've been salivating over and am lucky enough to be using right now. Um, what am I missing? What else is here at? Well, there's the, the event center the, the upstairs. Conti yep. the, the gallery continues upstairs, but it's also a, a place where um, it's, it's an open area. So whenever we do a, uh, a symposium, generally at least one of the two nights of the symposium, we host a dinner up there that Erin um, caters with her Shut Up Eat company. And um, and and that, honestly, the, the, the I think the greatest value from the symposiums in some way comes from these one-on-one -on -one conversations that happen in the space where there's food, where there may be alcohol, there, you know, but it's, it's everybody is kind of tired from the day and they let their guard down mm. and everyone is very sort of honest and open. And, and, uh, I think that's going to be us right now after <laughs> I, I rolled into town at three o'clock. Yeah. I think we started talking around four. Uh, and we haven't really stopped and it's now 1030 mm -hmm. and we've just started what I think theoretically is the last session for the day. <laughs> let's, let's, let's make it the last one yeah, for the yeah, day. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> but let's not put a time limit on it. Fair just, enough. Um, okay. So what is, what is all this? What are you doing? <laughs> this is, there's whiteboards everywhere with diagrams, notes, brainstorming. There's, um, books. There's the, the zine called Rays. Um, I mean, there's so much going on. And, what and, is it? it? I mean, sometimes I look at it and I go, well, there's not enough going on. We got it. We, we need to produce more. We need to make more. We're, we, and I'm somewhat driven now, but so we were talking a little bit about time and this notion of, of, you know, when you kill it, it kills you faster. Um, when you kill time, time kills you. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, so you're actively killing yourself when you're killing time in, in, in a way. But I feel like, okay, so I'm, I'll turn 58 later this year. And I realized, you know, that it, it seemed endless, my window for learning and communicating, experiencing, whatever, life. It seemed endless at one point. I was never going to, you know, at first there was the, I was going to die at 26 and then that didn't happen. And then it didn't happen at 30 and it didn't happen at 40. And I'm like, oh, because of climbing. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the relationship with risk that I had when I was younger, but now I, I, I realize like, okay, I have things to say. I have, there are things that I want to create and tick tock. So I, I don't want to kill time. Um, I'm pretty skilled at wasting it. <laughs> Why do you say that? Uh, just because sometimes I look at my days and there's not a, you know, there's not a deliverable at the end of the day, you know, or something like I didn't make some, did I make a beautiful photograph today? Did I, did I write something that communicates an idea that I think is important right now? Did, uh, but that, I think that, that happens, that happens when the projects get big and they can't happen in a day. 
that's something True. I had to let go of. I actually came to terms with this not too long ago where uh, I didn't graduate from college too long ago in the scheme of things. And I at that time, I got used to, all right, this assignment has been finished today. And then I graduated college and I went on doing all of this sort of thing. Living life. And you Living realize life, like, this assignment doesn't. Very few things fit into a day. Yeah. And that was a that was a tough adjustment. Kind of like you're saying, sometimes you get to the end of a day and you feel like there isn't something tangible that you can hold that you've created. Um, but I think as long as you're not letting time kill you, chances are good. You didn't finish something that day because it's going to get finished in a few days or a few weeks or a few months or a few years, or it might, I might've learned something that it will take me a long time to process, or I might have started something that, becomes more or or whatever but you know you get enough days in a row where you don't where I don't if I have enough days in a row where I don't feel like I I don't want to say accomplished because it's not like I have a fucking list but um, it, it enough days in a row where I felt like I was under utilizing my potential or something yep um, I, then it then it uh, it goes a different you know my psychology goes a different direction my headspace goes a little bit different but um i'm almost but, relieved to hear that <clears throat> that's a balance you still struggle with the balance of not working too hard and feeling fulfilled because that's something that i struggle with now and for some reason i'm finding solace in the fact that you still don't feel like you found that oh <laughs> I, I, and and in, and in some ways i don't I, i'm not i don't hope to i don't because there was a thing like Early in life, you, know, you get sold on this idea of like do this and this and this and this, and then okay, if you go through all this schooling, you'll get this job, and then after a certain amount of time at this job, and maybe you'll do some on the job learning, and then you have a better job, or you have a raise, or you have something, and then for you know you're always working towards this thing in the future, and I, I mean that that is present everywhere, and what is happening here right now is like look. Michael and I both agree. Look, what we have right now is is all we have. What we have in this present moment is all we have there, and and when we make things, we produce things, we we create, we have conversations, we share this, you know, some ideas that we have. Or, or it, it's we're not aiming at some goal that we can't have right now. We're trying to. I think both of us are trying to live to to experience our lives as they are happening right now. And and part of the reason that I'm that I'm doing this right now is there I, I had rejected the trap, had stayed out of the trap of working towards that, you know, grass is greener thing, you know, or that hey, if I just if I get to this point then I can have all this or if I just do this now, if I just suck it up and do what I don't want to do now, then later I'll have maybe something and I was able to have I mean my entire climbing career I was uh, you know evading that late in you know and it's not that long ago um, I mean fairly recent it came to it came to a head in sort of 2014 when I realized what the previous two three four years had been which were all doing work which that, that was teaching me things and I was learning and I was doing good work and it was satisfying but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And it was all working towards 
okay, a, a certain point when there will be enough money where the second house gets built, where, you know, then we're going to be able to not work as much and then we'll get to do what we want or we'll get, to, you know, it's like, oh, once I retire, I'm going to get a motorhome and drive around the country, you know, or whatever. I mean, you're doing it right now. You're not <laughs> retired at all. Um, but but th there was always this sort of doing stuff that I don't really want to do right now in order to, you know, potentially the have something in the future. The yeah. hope of doing it, doing the things I want to do later. But what what's going to happen later? My body's not going to like if those things that I want to do are physical. Well, now we're on the downslope. So, fucking do it now because, you know, with the accumulation of orthopedic issues and that kind of thing over the life that I've had, I'm just like look, that's not going to. You're never going to fucking run that marathon, dude. <laughs> like I'm, or whatever, you know, because it's. It, it things change, but I also realized like, why be mad and bummed out now on the off chance that it's going to be better in the future? Like, because somehow you're sold this lie that, it, that it's going to be better, that everything's going to be beautiful. Like you will find the end of the rainbow. I'm like, no, it's going to be fucking raining there too. <laughs> <laughs> or there wouldn't be a rainbow. Like it's, and, and so let's, live it now let's do the maximum that we can now and so we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to create to be present all the time to be trying to have new experiences conversations that allow us to share the you know whatever comes out of these experiences so and you're doing that via all of these things yeah i mean it some if you say what are you doing and we you know with this it's in this building we i, I now I say, uh, yeah, we have a media company because that's about as innocuous as you can get. You know, right. the only thing is like, oh, we're consultants. You know, that would be <laughs> th that'd be the, also the true. full cop. Well, yeah, it's true. Also true. Um, but I, by the way, I love um, so that there's so much going on in this building. When you stand outside the building, nothing going on. I mean, there's what looks like a vacant lot with a tall chain link fence. It's pretty metal, dude. It's <laughs> no sign, most nondescript building. You step inside, and uh, for those that want to explore the world, it's a candy store. It's it honestly what it reminds me of. The first thing I thought of is the the Red Bull high performance training gym. Yeah, is this massive brick warehouse from the outside you wouldn't pick out of any other random brick warehouse yeah no logoing no signage nothing there's just a door you type in a code you go inside it's the most state-of-the-art training facility and you've ever seen in your life and then it's a candy store yeah like a serious candy store <laughs> and it's there for the people that are in there doing the work exactly and it's not you're not nobody's got an outward view looking to try and sell what's in there to the outside it's just like look you're in then yeah. you're in you learn you progress yeah. maybe you as an individual by way of that experience and or you know that that training those exchanges that happen in there you go out you have they allow you to have different yeah. greater higher order experiences yeah. and then it's on you to take what was in there and present it to others yeah. based yeah. on the intervening so if we call it a media company, Just, I guess I guess it, we'll call it that. I, I, I mean, I can say we're a publishing company, you know. Because, yeah. but if I say so, I say media because it's 
in a way, yeah, we're producing this zine, which comes out quarterly. We've published, uh, you know, my book, Refuge. Um, we just printed the second book, which is an anthology of the first five issues of the zine. Um, so we'll be publishing our second book at the end of this month, essentially. And we have a podcast. And then there is not only sort of fitness-related, but also philosophy-related content on our website. Um, some of that is um, visual. Some of it is, you know, written, typed, whatever. So maybe maybe communication company. But I, I mean, I don't know. That just sounds so lame, though. Are you are you trying to accomplish anything with this? Are there are there missions? Is there a mission statement? Are there goals? I think we had one for a while because we thought we needed a mission statement or something. But then we just mostly the mission statement is let's do cool shit like or or let's make cool stuff like we've already done. We had a lot of experience in our lives. Not, you know, if I go through, you know, if I say, okay, yeah, my athletic career um, that was parallel with development of myself as a writer and a photographer. Um, but then going into training the military and working in Hollywood and having done nine, you know, train people for nine different big ass fucking movies in Hollywood, et cetera. So I've, all of these experiences, you know, have been had. And those are the things that fuel the, the stuff that we can put out that, that, that we can create and use to communicate some of the ideas that we learned along the way, which is, I think ultimately for us, it's, like maybe this is by way of the podcast conversations, the, 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 the print things that we make, the supplements that are being made by another silo in the company and this and that, that it's like, these are, these are all the results of, of like experiences that we've had things that we've, you know, trial and error, um, a, you know, a lot of fucking learning and, and learning under, you know, pretty, sometimes tough conditions especially in the sense of okay there's here's a here's a movie that you're working on that has a 250 million dollar budget and the people have to lurk look a certain way and they have to look a certain way on a, on a particular day mm. and not just for a day like if we if i was to say that I mean, if you put it in ath sort of athletic terms it's like okay you you have a races in your season and some other you know lesser things and and you will try to peak your performance um for those high points some of those high points might come so close together that you need to hold the peak and if you know if i say that okay for man of steel um henry who played superman and you know we had to train him up and he had to look on uh let's see february 3rd was the last day he had to look on february 3rd exactly how he looked on august 1st and that is like holding someone's peak for six months and even though we think of that as being like an aesthetic thing only, the only way the aesthetic is achieved is, you know, by way of actual capability because it's a visual thing. So he has to be able to move. He has to be able to look. He has to fill out the suit. He has to, you know, all of these things for, for six months. And so that's not like a... Um, Th th this is that's an, it's it's an interesting dilemma, but we learn a like if I say okay, we work in tough conditions. A lot of the things that we've learned have been under those con you know difficult conditions. It's like that. There's a lot of weight riding on 
some of these things and many times going into it not knowing exactly how you're going to solve the problem. So ultimately what we're broadcasting out of here is you know these ideas and these lessons and maybe that will culminate in a coherent philosophy. Right now like we had talked about earlier it's a sandbox and we're you know we're we're sort of messing around we have really good tools we have a lot of good raw material um you have some good folks that join you in the sandbox now and then to also mess around mess around and to <laughs> kick around ideas and to yeah. and to t and to tell us you know like oh hey this is um yeah that's cute but it's bullshit you know or <laughs> man i never thought of it like that and yeah. i think one of you know one of the things that we're really good is is at if anything it's on the one hand, I say it's like drawing references or drawing parallels, tying things together that have not gone together before. So that's not, that's, let's just say that's integrating, not creating, or not inventing necessarily. Um, and then in a conversation probably two weeks ago, something that is up on the whiteboard now, it's just like, okay, applying you know, universal truths to specific situations and extrapolating specific knowledge to larger, more general situations. Uh -huh. and, and that doesn't really sound like a way that a person can earn a living. Right, right. <laughs> Which we don't, so <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so, okay. In our first conversation, we talked a lot about your climbing, your history, um... Today, I want to continue talking about some of what you're up to now, but an enabler between the two, is that fair to say, is is this Hollywood career? It To me, it seems like it's sort of, I don't know if all this would have happened without some of your work in Hollywood, and sure. obviously the climbing yeah. wouldn't have happened, or the, the Hollywood aspect wouldn't have happened without the climbing. Obviously, it all works together. Yeah. But um, to me, there's this connection of sorts. And I'd like to hear more about your work uh, in regards to those movies. Some of what we talked about at dinner um, in regards to uh, maybe aspects that were challenging. Why you went back to it. Some of the projects you worked on. And just so people don't think that this is some weird cult situation here in salt lake city <laughs> genuinely highly regarded people choose to come hang out here <laughs> so yeah. for example uh and we don't and we allow them to leave afterwards exactly. if they if they you, want you so. don't you don't make them like cut off an ear or something on their way out no. um for example jason jason momoa yeah aka pride of gypsies yeah aka uh you could say drogo aquaman yeah exactly everyone knows yeah um, he's a good friend of y'all's and just, you know, swings through and hangs out now. And then I see how, how is it that last week actually last week? Yeah, it was really nice. <laughs> how is it that y'all developed a relationship? Um, and what do you think he sees in, in y'all's work that keeps him hanging around? I know that's hard for you to answer. He would, he I mean, would answer it more easily. He, he could he could answer it more, more easily, but but I think the the main thing is and we and we in, in a conversation recently, um, 
I mean, when he was here last week, we one of the things we talked about is, you know, I'm asking, so how, you know, he's had a number of trainers through his, you know, acting days. And, and uh, after Justice League, I worked on Aquaman a little bit, I think a total of about three months of it. And then I just, it's just like, Jason, this, you know, Selena means, you know, she's too important to me. I'm not going to, I can't stay here. I don't want to travel back and forth between. Selena you know, being your partner. Yeah. 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 And, uh, um, you know, she and I survived 14 months of me being in London and her being in New Mexico working and seeing each other <sighs> once a month. And how long did you do that? 14 months. Was there, yeah. I think, yeah, something like that. I'm trying to think, uh, this beginning of September 2015 through the end of October. Yeah, 14. It's the end of October 2016. And, you know, I, I would come here or she would fly there or something. We'd see each other for like a day and a half or two days at a time. If we were two days at a, two days together, that was good. That was a good, that was a good stint. But, um, I mean, at one point she, you know, to spend 35 hours with me in Newfoundland, she's traveled 65 hours, yep. you know, and that's, and we had survived that. And I realized like, okay, Australia, this is now it's, you know, there's a difference between a 11 hour. I could get on a flight from Heathrow to Salt Lake. It's an 11 hour flight, Uber to my place, get my car, drive seven hours to Farmington. That's still less time than it takes to get to fucking Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it, so I just, I, I, and, and I had ended, I mean, I had learned everything that I could learn. That was the ninth of the movies that I did and, um, in that in industry and, and, um, and he got it. He, and, and I said, Jason, look, I've been, I've been sitting on some, and he recognized me as, I mean, the, the, part of the reason that we are, we understand each other is because of the, I, I think what we both call physical art. And, um, and that means having a relationship with physical life, him being into skateboarding, hockey, rock climbing, mostly, um, he'd consider himself a climber first, if you you know uh, of any athletic pursuit, and um, that. And he's also he's a really good writer. He's really? a good photographer. Huh. He's way better as a director, in my opinion, than he is you know as an actor. Really? Oh yeah. If you see some of the stuff that they have that that he, his company has produced and shot, I mean, that he has directed for Carhartt. Um, they've just you know part of the thing that they've been doing lately. Uh, they, they were coming through town. They're shooting a whole bunch of stuff for Harley Davidson. They're the shooting thing that blows me away about some of these A-list celebrities, actors and actresses, whatever, is how much shit they do. Like, they are key roles in the biggest films in the world, and yet they're running their own production companies in, and being the, really good at climbing. And, like, how in the... And they have families. And, th and they have families. And you're just like, okay, another fucking overachiever. Jesus Christ, I feel. <laughs> and so that's when, like, when I don't do something, and I feel like I haven't accomplished anything at the end of the day, part of it is because I know... God the, damn it, Jason. <laughs> there are there are people doing, you know, there are people out there who are doing more, yeah, who are yeah, who yeah. are, you know, using their time in a more efficient way or whatever. And and so, you know, part like we talked about that that picture um, of Jason when we were in Iceland, which is, which is the, the the tail end of the Justice League shoot, um, the very last things that that we shot. And so he's there. He's got his own cameraman there doing all of their behind the scenes stuff for his company to 
tell his story and maybe some of that imagery is going to be you know repurposed for Carhartt or maybe some of it but but that's what every time he is not in front of the camera and he doesn't have to rehearse he's doing his own stuff he's making his own because he has his own you know he has stories to tell mm -hmm. he has ideas to transmit and um and now it's i mean it, it's really cool to also see that people that he has had relationships with and this is an this is an a, a, a very important aspect of it for me is that okay so Eric Lassiste who um, you know they uh, had had met through uh, 8711 the stunt training uh, group um, out in Los Angeles and they had and, and he worked with him on a movie or whatever and and so then uh, he and Eric get tight and in, and uh, so Eric was a physical trainer and, and 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 he's also a chef and a nutrition guy so he um, they, they worked together on Conan and then, uh, over time, you know, Eric learns the ins and outs and this and that. And now he's not, he's not training people anymore. I mean, his last gig, I think he, he trained, um, Charlize Theron for Atomic Blonde. Um, but then after that, he's just like, he went into a producing role. And so now all of the commercials, all of the, you know, the, the sort of documentary style stuff that Pride of Gypsies is doing that Eric is producing all that stuff. And then Mata, who was training, you know, who was the lead trainer for him, um, for Aquaman, uh, for him personally, now he's like moved up in the company and he is sort of basically, you know, you know, he is the, the manager of and fielding all of the media stuff and this and, and, and all the sponsor relations and that kind of stuff within the company. Um, and so, and, and then Brian Mendoza, who sh who's been shooting all of his stuff forever, all of the commercials for Carhartt, all of the, he shot um, Road to Paloma, which is a movie that they made, which you should watch on iTunes at some point, because it's like eight or 12 friends get together and make a fucking movie. And it is, and it's, and so when I, and he's in, Jason is in it, but when you, realized that he directed it like okay that's what this guy needs to be doing um so brian shot all that stuff and now um he's no longer you know shooting commercials and that stuff for for their company he's got his own he's shooting his own fucking movie now and so i just watch how you know jason you know people will work with him for a little bit and then he's just like he's like okay move on you know get out of the nest get you know do your do your thing you're better than you are more than you're capable of more than what limits you have assigned to yourself in the past yeah. and so and to see eric just come out of the the role of being a martial you know stunt guy martial artist trainer and to to you know learn everything about food so that he could do that part of it as well as the training because the nutrition is an integral part and then um and then he kind of gets in between jason and the the, the production companies and that kind of stuff to, to to manage some things and then pretty soon now he's you know now he's producing stuff and 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 driving all of um you know managing all of these teams to go that go out to get this you know to shoot the content to, for these other projects they have it's it's like okay come in have a relationship see what the work ethic is see what's required get some you know get some hard in the trenches experiences develop some self-confidence and then have a mentor who just like fucking kicks you out of the nest that's the most beautiful thing yep 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 why haven't you had him on the podcast yet um, we actually talked about that recently and we, it's going to happen, yeah. but he's just like, I haven't ever done one. Really? And, um, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. not a, it's not a red tape type situation. No, he'll totally, I mean, especially because of, uh, you know, our relationship, he'll absolutely do it. And I just said, look, Jason, I know it's going to happen and I'm not going to push because I don't want to, 
um, I will never trade off the back of our friendship. Yep. Yes. That and, is exactly what I was going to bring up. And, and, and that's why we have a friendship because it's not transactional. Yep. It's like, I love Jason. He loves me. Yep. We have enormous respect for each other. And you know, when he said the other day, he's just like, I know you're fucking done, but if in a year, what if I need you in a year and a half or something? And I'm like, Jason, if you need me, I'll be there. I'll, f- I'll figure it out. Cause, cause you're important to me. You know, we've, we've lived through enough. We're good enough friends that yeah, I'll, I, I expect to be paid to be there, but yeah, that's the thing. And, 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 and this was one of the things that, early on after so the first movie that I did um, that I trained people for was 300 and after that I, I, I said Zach this was in a, he was the director uh, Snyder and, and um, I said Zach look I'm this was an incredible experience it challenged me beyond my <laughs> wildest imagination pushed me you know past you know edges limits whatever you want to talk about that I that I hadn't even known were there um, and and I still don't want to do it again. Can you talk some about why that was the case? What were some of the the challenges? I mean, some of it was some some of. I mean, what I experienced, like I went into it with a bit of hubris, thinking like, ah, it's fucking actors, I can train, you know, whatever, and then realized, you know, quite quickly that the way to make the world of make believe believable is to train to, to to bring reality into this fantasy uh-huh. in a sense like okay if i train the the and, and zach and i have talked about this a lot he's just like look the more capable we can make the the actors the less they have to be doubled and the more real everything looks whether you know it or not people know when the stunt double is on camera and the and the lead is no longer there. Like the you can make the most seamless switch ever and people sense it. And he said, "Look, if we make the if we make the actors capable of doing as much of the action as they possibly can up to the limits of where the insurance company says no, <laughs> essentially. Um, if we can do that, then the entire movie is more believable." And so that was that was the objective and so when I what I thought in the beginning was going to be easy was really fucking hard, and uh, you know like six weeks in L.A. and then we were four months in in Montreal, and I got to Montreal, and and, and the six weeks in L.A. I had like ten guys, eleven guys, get to Montreal and suddenly it's between thirty and thirty five depending on the day, and I somehow thought I was going to be able to train them all by myself. So when I submit the budget, I'm thinking somehow imagining I would be able to do this. I'd get there, the reality hits, and I go to the producers and I'm like, okay, I fucked up. I need help. My friend Logan is here right now because he drove all the gym equipment up for us and, and had you know pledged five days to help me get everything started. And I said, look, can we? Can I bring him on as my assistant because it's not going to happen otherwise. And so they made you know a, a, a deal you know, which wasn't that great, like, but it, it was last minute and it was my mistake and, and it was an incredible experience. I mean, Logan got basically, you know, four months, 24, seven, he's lived in my front room. I had a one bedroom apartment when I was up there and he lived in the front room and we spent 
24 hours a day together, you know, so he had like the fucking hyper rapid educational sort of immersion thing. Um, but it was hard. I mean, it was five days a week. I was, we were in the gym probably 12 hours a day. And that means like running a class from seven to eight, taking a break till eight thirty. Then we have eight thirty to nine thirty. Then we have a break till 10. Then we go 10 to 11. And then we have, you know, probably try and squeeze another thing, depending on how the cast and the crew were, you know, doing their lunch thing, et cetera. And then, you know, essentially not leave until six or seven that night. And so I'd be in there five days a week. And then on the weekends, I just collapsed my hotel room for two days, try to recover for the next week. And, and, and what we were able to accomplish with the way those guys looked was pretty fucking extraordinary. And, and, and especially one of the, the main things the movie is known for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the costume is leather underpants and a red cape. And the rest is and the rest chiseled abs. Guys, got to fucking make yourselves, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. essentially. And 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 so a lot of that. I mean, we developed certain you know ideas of how to do this. I just and I know that guys are you know ego sort of. It's easy to manipulate in a sense of like okay, it's fear and shame. So everybody trains with their shirt off. You know, you come into the gym, shirt comes off. Everybody knows on Monday if you fucked up on the weekend. That's all I. That's what I want people to see, and everyone's going to give you sh- the one guy shit who can't lose those stubborn extra ten pounds or you know whatever it is, um, and so it was a it was a highly competitive, and let's just say testosterone charged environment. But it, but but that also makes that's it also s- what the movie was about. Yeah. But, oh yeah. It's it's what the movie was about. It's what and but it's and, and it's also what makes it super easy to train guys. Is like put them in a group like that, and you know they'll die for points. They'll die, you know if you okay, we're gonna we're gonna set up a little competition where the the person who loses is gonna be called a loser on the whiteboard in front of other people, and <laughs> and then they'll, they'll just like they'll fucking annihilate themselves in order not to be even a loser. These, these unbelievably well paid millionaire actors. I mean, some of them are. Yeah, we'll, there's we'll some die, people who will die for a title on a whiteboard. Oh yeah. I mean, anybody will. Yeah. It doesn't, it, it's just like you get the right, as long as you're competing with people you perceive as your peers, it doesn't matter what the financial status, the accomplishments ever, you know, if they are your peers, you'll go to the fucking, t- you know, you'll go to hell to, to you know, produce a good result. Um, so all of that in, in our space, what we were able to control, we had control over the diet. We had like everybody who was under our training regimen so let's just say 35 people and that's cast plus stunt guys and a lot of the stunt guys had actual you know acting roles in the movie um but we had our own kitchen we had our like we were in charge of the menus we designed the menu we got you know we had them from they get in at eight in the morning until they left at six at night you know we they were you know under us and so we had a lot of control you know good amount of control but it's also Montreal, which is a fucking party town. So, you know, some people on the weekends might, you know, lose the plot a little mm. bit in, in, in a way. Um, but we had, a, but, but having that control also created a bubble around what we were doing. And that um, shielded me in some ways. Like, I think, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to be a Hollywood trainer. I'm going to go to Hollywood and that'll get me around actors. And then maybe I'm going to get around an actress and then maybe you know, hey, you never know, maybe, you know, because I'm such a physical specimen myself and a super <laughs> genius because, you know, or whatever, you know, bullshit ideas they think they have. But like, and, and then they get to hang around and blah, blah, blah. And I think on, I think on uh, 300, I went to set where 
you know, t- they're filming four times total. Wow. Over, and that was, that's a, pr- that was a pretty, sh- I think it's an 80 day shoot. Um, but still four times, you know, four times. I don't give a fuck. You know, my job, my, my job is like, I, I love to see Zach at work. I love to see the craftsmen who are on set doing their work, but there's a lot of other Hollywood stuff that I didn't certainly didn't appreciate at the time. And so for me, I had my world and I was took myself and my world very seriously and didn't step out of it. But when I got exposed to some of the things that, you know, about Hollywood that, um, that you read, you know, certain types of behavior, not only from, you know, producer studio level, but on an individual actor level, you know, that kind of thing. And I just saw some stuff that I, on a human level, I couldn't, I couldn't get with, that I just was not, you know, if somebody hands, you know, you got a, 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 a PA, you know, production assistant who's comes to knows that the training is supposed to end at 1030. And so at 1030, she comes through with post-workout, you know, shakes, nutrition, whatever after the fact. And she hands one of the actors, um, you know, a chocolate shake or a berry. I can't remember which one it was, but it wasn't the one that the guy wanted, but how was she to know when he never made it known? He's like, I want, you know, and just throws this fucking protein shake across the kitchen, you know, splatters the walls, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, throw some tantrum because he'd just been fully stressed out in this workout. So, yeah, he's going to have an emotional condition in some ways, but also knows that he can get away with whatever the fuck he wants. So, he you know, throws a thing like I wanted berry or I wanted chocolate or some ridiculous shit. And then the next day that PA is fired, you know, and have a fucking job. And I'm just like, okay, this is this is bullshit. Yeah, it's a bullshit. And that's like a one, you know, that might be, uh, you know, I'm embellishing slightly, but but it's shit like that and and less so now there's probably more accountability in the industry now than there than there was at that time which was 2005 and probably more accountability in 2005 than there was in the fucking mid 90s or whatever when all craziness was happening and if you you know you're someone who puts asses in seats the more asses you put in seats the more you get away you know that and 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 then people, and maybe you're, maybe you're a nice guy, a nice gal, whatever, coming into the the business. But then you, um, you gain power. You get the you get the the juice, and you start, and, and it affects you, and you start behaving in a certain way. And pretty soon, you're just like pushing every. We're all in our lives pushing boundaries. Like we're trying to. Every one of us is trying to see what we can do, what we can get away with, what we can, and. This seems like a, a good segue for um, kind of what you deal with on a big picture. A fist fight with human nature. A, a, <laughs> a battle a battle against the ego. Um, are some of your ideas regarding that from your time spent in Hollywood? Or is it is that too specific? Is it is it more of just a lifetime of experience? I, I think um, yeah. But let's let's say it's a, it's a lifetime of experience. But Hollywood's an amplifier. Like everything that you and, and especially w- when our jobs as you know, we'll say I'm just gonna say trainer. I'm a Hollywood trainer. 
how do you feel about that? <laughs> I, I feel kind of icky, but um, <laughs> but if that's my title, you know, but but in you know training, it's not just like oh, I'm going to give this guy a workout to do, and then if I give this guy enough workouts to do, and he does enough of the workouts that I give him, then he's going to look like this, and then I'm going to be, you know, then I'm going to be in the war, you know, then I'm in charge of the wardrobe or whatever. No, you're in charge of the fucking wardrobe on the one day when that dude's shirt is off. Um, but the the, the this idea of um, but you, you get to you get to see how, how people change when they get, get that develop that relationship when they when they have power when they are in a situation where they, they they can they can get away with anything because they put asses in seats let's let's just say that when and so how do and, you and, how and, do and so and then character comes through always how do you become the kind of person that can detach yourself detach recognize when that ego is speaking up and knock it back onto the mat put it in a headlock choke it out choke it out <laughs> just tap just tap motherfucker um how is it because you're you're pretty so, you're I, what one thing i appreciate appreciate about you is that I feel like you have a good handle on that, but you are also willing to admit that your ego is still very much there. And so once you stepped away from this industry and said you weren't going to do it anymore, the reason you got back into it is because someone was able to caress your <laughs> ego and that yeah. got you back into the industry. And, and you admit that. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's just say so, so, so after 300 and and, and I, I told Zach, look, I, I don't want to. I, this is great. I've got other stuff in my life that I, and, and this is some, this, you know, the, the bad part of this, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be around those people anymore and, and see their behavior because the, the more you see that kind of behavior, the more it becomes okay. And you almost get a hall pass to start behaving in, you know, in that way. Um, I'm going to quickly jump in one more yeah. time because one of my all time favorite concepts, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this is, the idea that in some ways we are the average of the five people we most frequently associate with. That is to say, it gets back to nature versus nurture and that we are malleable. Nurture is a big component and who you choose to associate with is very, very, very important. And so what it sounds like what you're saying is the more time you spent in that environment, the more you started to fear for your own behavior potentially i mean certainly certainly up front early like around the time of 300 which is sort of 2005 2006 and um because i i wasn't you know certainly confident in my own relationship with the ability to handle you know power or you know temptation that sort of thing and and so part of you know and be also being able to recognize the, the behavior in the first place is okay if you if you can recognize it then you can do it <laughs> like you have that capacity within you to be that asshole and and i had you know i've been an asshole in a different sort of context let's say but i i realized like I, I mean part of the reason that jim jones worked in the first place is because we reserve total control over the environment jim jones being the first gym you owned yeah so started that in I'll, I'll say late 2003 December 2003 I think is when we we started and and 
but it was invitation only. Um, and, and it remained that way for a long time. I mean, we didn't take paying clients like no one paid to train there until I left to go do the 300 job in 2005 when we had to bring two of the guys who I'd been training for 18 months and Johnny and James, um, I had trained them four days a week for 18 months essentially. And, uh, and they knew everything that I knew and they, and we were able to get them out of their car detailing business. Um, and give help them earn some income in the gym so that that was you know it was a a year and a half essentially before um you know we charged anybody for for training and part of the reason that it was invitation only is so that we could cast who was in there we only want people who bring you know who can contribute more who can teach me because for me it was just like look if i invite you to train in here i'll you can train for free but you have to do what I say because I'm experimenting right now. Mm. So a lot of, you know, the the ideas that I was learning and then applying, I mean, it was happening in very real time of, of you know, bringing experience from climbing and having trained with certain coaches while I was climbing and that sort of thing um, and, and, and applying that in a, a much more compressed or concentrated environment. But being able to control the environment, who you know, the space itself plus who was in it, um, meant that we had a large degree of influence on the outcome and, and being able to take that same thing and do it, you know, in the Hollywood situation of like, okay, this is my gym space and you don't tell me what to do because you have no expertise here. And I'm not going to tell you how to fucking produce your movie because I got no expertise there. And I don't, you know, you tell me who it is, what needs to happen when it needs to happen. And then just give me all the resources that I asked for. And we'll fight over some of the resources and that kind of thing, but that's fine. Um, and so all of that allows me to, you know, being able to control that environment controls the five people that I'm around or controls the 10 people or whatever. And, and that produces a particular result. And then if you willy nilly expose yourself to stuff because the opportunity seems so great, um, you have to understand, recognize, and be sensitive to how those relationships are going to affect you as a human being. And, you know, because you're stepping into an environment that somebody else controls. And that's not ultimately, in the end, what what we wanted. So after 300 and I told Zach, look, I'm not interested anymore. And then, um, and, and part of that was because I was afraid of what, you know, knowing my own tendency to addiction, let's say, I, I didn't trust myself to be in that situation and mm-hmm. in, in that, in that environment, nor did I, you know, respect then the, you know, some of the people doing certain jobs in that industry in the way that I respect them now. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I was like, because I had my bubble, because I had arms links or whatever, and I could, I never allowed, you know, there was a couple of producers and I never allowed them to defend themselves in a way. I just made the snap, you know, made the judgment based on the behavior that I saw from the viewpoint that I had. And that was that. Yep. Um, but, uh, so I, I, I don't know if it's the average, we are the average of the five people we most associate with, but I don't disagree with the thesis. Like right. maybe there's a fine detail. Maybe it's the seven or whatever, but it is, but environment is super fucking important. And, yeah. and if you can't, and, and the, the idea in, in some ways of, if we start talking about training and we could even relate this to, 
you know your career right now is it's like hey if um you want a very precise training program let's say as an individual not you Payson, but let's say an individual wants a very precise training. they're unique they're super unique and they're like they need the most you know very focused in this and that and I'm just, my first question is like can you control your you know how much of your life do you control Right? Do you control when you have to be at work? No, they tell you when you have to be there. Do you control, you know, when your kid is going to come home from school sick? Do you control, you know, all of these things. So if you don't, if you can't control the minute aspects of your life, then there's no fucking way you can control your training. Yeah. And so you don't need anything unique or specific. You just need to do some stuff. <laughs> okay. Make now, sure you have the capacity. Yeah, absolutely. To, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 so I, I think a lot of the work that Michael and I have done in the you know past decade has been has been you know steered towards what's you know being able to control the environment that we're in to learn and to create and then to communicate and you know initially when we came into the building um, some former some, some people you know that, that had been involved at Jim Jones before they had set up a gym in here we came in after that and and uh ross who was leasing the building um basically said hey you guys need some office space for this project that you have and blah 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 and so he gave us some office space and and then that was good for the guy you know the, the gym people out front because ah oh, we got mark twight in the back and you know we're from jim jones and mm. blah 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 so they're you know capitalizing on notoriety you know or uh, relationships and blah 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 and i'm like i don't give a fuck that's fine um and then we had sort of a philosophical uh, disagreement and michael and i were like okay we're done let's leave and um, and, and go to some place where we can control, you know, everything because this is not a healthy environment for what we're trying to accomplish. And these people are not sort of fulfilling or sharing, broadcasting, whatever, expressing the ideals that we have and that I believe that I taught them at my former place, but I guess it fell on, you know, different ears. Um, so uh, after a somewhat tumultuous um, separation process. Um, we started slowly, you know, they left and we started, uh, because Ross who said, hey, what you guys are doing, I, I'd rather be involved in that or whatever than what those guys are doing. So let's, you guys don't leave, why don't those, make those guys leave? And a little bit complicated and fucked up, but um, uh, ultimately, about a year ago, a little bit less maybe, um, we were able to start like shaping the environment in here. Like it would not be how it is now if that organization was still in this building. So we needed, in, in order, if, if we want to have a, you know, art gallery up front and a fucking party in the back, you know, gym in the back or vice versa, however, and, and have those things feed each other, we need to have control over that environment. So that's kind of we just decided all right we'll take the um i'm happy to pay you know the five grand a month or whatever it is to be here um because it's now it's ours yeah now it's like we get to we get to to steer and and and, and shape the environment in a way that allows us to extract more from ourselves 
And so what you're extracting <laughs> from yourselves here, get, getting back to an earlier point, I mean, it's all kinds of things. Um, I like to tell, so the first time we chatted uh, on my podcast, you gave me a couple of the, the zines here, um, editions two and three or one and two. What are these two here? So those two, that's uh, number two two of rays and then the, the out of series collaborate is the one with the okay the, so, so those I, those are the two those are the two that i have yeah and they're in my van on a shelf above the passenger seat and when i was in british columbia last week racing bc bike race i had a van full of friends new friends people i'd never met yeah. mostly tim johnson i'd met none of the others i'd met and uh, i forget who was who is shotgun um but they reached up and they grabbed one of these zines and i noticed them grab it and i knew that there was going to be a different if if they took a look and kept reading i knew there was going to be a reaction different than if they'd reached up and grabbed bike magazine or or, or mountain bike action or national geographic or something like that are those up there also on that shelf uh nat geo isn't mountain bike action is uh a couple other couple others rangers. okay um so they played zine roulette got they got, grabbed, got an issue of rays or whatever got, got an issue of rays and they're looking through it and i'm watching them <laughs> and they read read a few lines and you know, have kind of a little bit of a puzzled look on their face, flip through a few more pages, and then they look around and they said, Payson, what is this? <laughs> and I couldn't tell them. I, I said, well, I have this friend um, who's who's known for these handful of things. I gave him a quick rundown. And uh, I basically said, just keep reading. You decide. Perfect, and, and that's that's sort of the conclusion I've had to come to. Also, um, when I when you look at the cover, it's black and white. It says "Raise a fist fight with human nature" under it. Raise R A Z E, and uh, the image is. It could be interpreted in a whole lot of ways. For some reason, to me, I see World War One. Nice. I, I don't know why. That's what I see. Okay. It's a, how would you describe it? It's a well, meadow. It's a meadow with some trees. It looks potentially wintertime. Um, it, it's pretty, it's a dark image. And so when I first looked at this, I was somewhat uh, skeptical. I don't know why, but I was skeptical when I first looked at it. I opened it up and it's black and white. It's dark. It's in some ways cryptic. And then I started reading the words and it's the sort of words that you'll read a paragraph and you'll kind of grip your chair and read it again and then read it a third time. The word the, that it, would be the highest praise. Well, for my writing <laughs> that I could ever receive. Well, I'm glad to, I'm glad to serve it up because that's, that's the experience it gives me. It is honestly, it is, uh, it's some of the most incredible stuff I've read Thank and you. it's, uh, it's at times poetic. It's at times, uh, dark and cynical. It's at times uplifting. It's, it's philosophy unlike I've read before. And, um, it's, it, 
is it purposefully ambiguous at times? Are you leaving blanks for people to fill in? Or is it or are you not thinking even that much? Are you just writing what feels good to write? The, the glib answer would be yes. <laughs> um but it's like you said to the guy in the, who's riding shotgun. Like, keep reading, you tell me. Yeah. Because that ultimately, like, I, I know why some of these things were written. Um, certainly how most of the time. And, but I can't know what someone else is going to, like, I don't, I don't want to, like, okay, wrap it up with a nice conclusion. Okay, and here's, I've just been, you know, mental masturbating on this page right here, and here's what I want you to take away from it as an idea. And that, so I want to leave it open to interpretation. I want people to, to um, it, it, none of the words are useful if a person cannot identify with them personally. Like if they can't take them on board and go, oh, well, th this is, this is describing almost describing an experience that I had and it's causing me to think about it in a different way. Or, um, when we talk about pictures, there's, uh, well, I think it's in the first issue of Ray's, which sold out long, long ago. Um, there, there I, I had a little discussion about, uh, image quality and taking a photograph and how the desperately, clinically, ruthlessly sharp images that are available with mod many modern digital cameras almost take the viewer out of it hmm. because they don't give the viewer any room to interpret the image that they're looking at because everything is such a sharp edge and, 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 and very clear. And if you look at sort of the cover of Ray's there where you say, ah, it's, it's, I see World War One," and I'm just like, well... World War One didn't get to England, but it is England. Um, but you, but you, th there's a mist. It, like there's fog there. There's a mist. It's it is sunrise. It is um, the end of the road that I was living on when I was in England, working on this movie job. And every morning, that is yes, it's 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 six o'clock or five forty-five. Cause I had to be at work at six o'clock, and I'd drive down that road, and I'd see this scene. And it is. Um, I moved into that place in March, so it's not winter, but it's spring but things are just starting to grow back. And so you've, you've sensed like a lot of what is in th that, that image um, and had to in your own head because it's not clear. Right. Because it's not like point one, two, three, some number set, you know, this conclusion that now, you know, is four minute abs or whatever bullshit, you know, like I, I, I'm <laughs> like, I, I have to kind of make a joke out of it. Cause no, well, I'm that's so, kind of what I was getting at earlier is, is, uh, all of this stuff, whether it's the podcast, it's the zine, it's some of the books you've read, it's the photography, whatever it is. Um, there's a lot out there that are, it's how to stuff. It's yeah. do these 10 things to get this result. Maybe maybe it's it's <laughs> but it's, no one ever says maybe it's here's nope. <laughs> here's a door we're going to open the door for you here are the things that are behind the door they're organized alphabetically you are taking us to a door 
and showing the door, but you're not even opening it. You're saying, here's a door. You're welcome to open it and find out what is behind the door if you want to. And it turns but out that's this, it. this door is inside you. Yeah. And you need to recognize that. And yeah. and that's, I, I, I think, and, and when we, and the idea of it being a fist fight with human nature is that, like for for me, if if it, you know, you ask, is there a mission statement or whatever, you know, for the business? And I'm just like, okay, well, my I don't really have one for the business, but this thing that I've been that's been driving me for pretty much my entire conscious existence is this idea of not settling for less than my own potential of getting there and calling it good of saying, yeah, and there is a, there, there's a good con, you know, 80% is good enough. You know, there is a, the, the good enough concept. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, but not as a lifestyle. You know, I think that's situationally dependent, let's say that, that, that when something is good enough, because, because refuge wouldn't still be in print if, Joe Holmes hadn't at one point said, are you going to work on it another year to make it 5% better? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. then I was just like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm going to put this out there now because it's as good as I can make it as who I am right now. Yeah. A year from now I could make it better. I open it now and I'm kind of like, and this is only six months after it's been, you know, went to print and I look at it and I go, Oh, uh, that, I see the images that I could have edited better, that I could have gone back into the dark room, whether that was, you know, developing and printing or whether it's actually, it's a computer um, and done something. Or I read a passage and I go, fuck that, that one word doesn't need to be there. That's what I see now sometimes, but I, I made it as, as good as I could. I did not. And I didn't feel like when I put it out, I was settling for less. I could actually, like hand a copy to somebody in exchange for, you know, that um, the, the standard edition is $119. And I'm just like, I could hand it to them and they could hand me the $119. And I'm totally comfortable with that exchange because I know that I'm giving them something of greater value than the money they are handing me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I didn't settle for less, but I think the natural tendency you could you you could break it down if you want to put it and I don't want to be simplistic or patronizing in some way but you know yeah it's pretty easy going into the sprint sometimes to be okay with like I know you probably know how hard it is gonna be to be the guy crossing first and how much that's gonna hurt and how much value have I assigned how invested am I etc I know you're very competitive and I like that <laughs> but um but you know, there's there. So maybe you don't suffer from this, but but sometimes I, you know, and, and the one reason that it's 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 highly important to me is because I did for a lot of my life decide that okay, enough is enough. I, I settled for, like I know I can do better. I'm just not going to. Mm. I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to experience that I don't want I know what it's going to you know whatever whatever causes people to settle for less than what they are capable of that's the thing that I'm trying to rally against you're at battle say. with yeah so we talked about the zine some you just mentioned refuge which is the book I'm holding here now 
and I don't even know how to define it. I mean, it's it's um, photography heavy, text light, <laughs> but not because the text is light. There's just not much of it. Um, if because if it's if the words are good, there don't need to be many. Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's not poetry, but it's not necessarily prose. It's uh, here. Let me let me let me put some words in your mouth. It's Please. Not, it's not poetry, but it is poetic. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna read. Earlier, I flipped open to a page, and just this the lead offline. I was like, okay, surely he ripped this off of a T-shirt or a bumper sticker. No, it's completely original. When you kill time, it kills you too. And you read that, and you go, okay, it's a nice turn of phrase. And then you're like, wait, 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 wait. What does that actually mean? And so this is what I was talking about, where you read it, and then you go back and you read it again. And you're like, oh, shit. That's got weight. That has weight. When you kill time, it kills you too. On the one hand, as time moves forward, we get closer to death. But also, as we were talking about, you die a lot faster if you're not doing anything. Exactly. And so that's just the first line. So when you kill time, it kills you too. If you're not learning, you're wasting time. Learning doesn't mean you are a beginner. It means you're aware and questioning what you see around you. So ask. And I love that so much because there is no one in this world that scares me more than someone that doesn't have an interest in learning, that doesn't have curiosity. Um, oh, yeah. And <laughs> and I mean, this that that's what? Four lines, three and a half lines. And it gives me goosebumps. And the book is full of that. So this is what I'm trying to describe. This is the inside this weird building in Salt Lake City <laughs> that has a gym and uh, a photography uh, studio and uh, a podcast studio and, you know, and a gallery and, and a, a kitchen gallery and, and a kitchen. A, That's and what's getting produced in here. And it's it's what I like about it is. You're not marketing it. Well, I hope that you will market it. But right now, you have to be here, be present, and read that line three times to get the value. And there's so much stuff out there these days that is in flashing lights. And you read it once, and you wish you hadn't even read it once. You wish you hadn't been brought in by the flashing lights. This is the opposite. Um, so thanks for that. Well, and, and thank you for... <laughs> seeing it for you know sort of what it is and 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 yeah and the marketing aspect like yeah we've we talked about it um a bit i mean I, we took you know self-financed and printed a thousand copies we had 250 special editions which came with a slip case and then an artist proof of one or two of the photographs and that kind of thing um and those we're gone. I think we actually made our money back on the printing before we had books in hand. Like we pre-sold, like we started as soon as I was on the print line and it was getting made, we were commit, like it was going to happen. We knew it wasn't like a Kickstarter where like, we think we can make this product. So if you give us some money, yeah. uh, we'll let you know in like a year and a half or two or whatever, whether we were successful or not. Um, it, you know, the book was, was, was being made. And, and I, and I think in the three weeks from, or the four weeks it took from when we started printing to when we had books in hand four weeks, five weeks. Um, I, I think we sold enough to, to, to pay for the printing. So we were, and then 
after that, you know, after that, everything's gravy, but there's still, it's like, no, you're never, you make a book. It's, it's not like I could market the shit out of it. And it, it, it you could market the shit out of it and, and, and people still wouldn't have a clue. Well, because and, I, and, or I could market the shit out of it and get a whole bunch of money from it, and it wouldn't be any fucking different. Like to, to, yeah, the, the, the act of making, of producing, of do, of of learning everything, because it's a it's a hundred percent in a sense DIY type of deal. Where, you know, we started making the zines to learn the software to lay out the book, and then you know worked on the first you know three issues of the zine with Ross's people over at his you know his uh, agency. Um, on design stuff and and you know had like it took the the very first thing we did we went through 13 fucking drafts before we got it made yeah. the second one i think we got it down to f- five or six or something and that seems to be sort of the average that we've been going through because make typos and fuck shit up but um but we had, we started the that process to to lead to the, you know the book and then now that we know how to make a book it was super easy to go in for the you know, to make the anthology that we just did last week. It's like, I know the guys who run the print line. I go in and I've got a relationship with the company and they know what I want. They know, they realize like, Hey, if there's black on the page, it better be a deep fucking dark black, (laughs) you know, because, because he won't accept anything less. And, and if there's, if there, if we can pull some detail out of these shadows right here on this other image, we fucking better do it because that's what he's going to want. Like it, it, all of, you know, they're all sort of these incremental steps into something. And I'd love to say like, okay, in the future, I want to have a publishing company. Do I? I'm not totally sure, but somebody comes to me with an idea and we're having a discussion with someone right now. I'm just like, look, I would like to make your book. Mm. Because if you take it to a commercial, put, you know, w- is this a labor of love or do you want to make a fun- bunch of money? Mm-hmm. Do you want to have a cool thing in your hands or do you want to make a bunch of money? Yeah. And if the answer is, I want to have a cool thing, like, let us make it for you. Yeah. Because, yes, you will earn, you'll never get, if it takes you two years to, to write this or to create this book or whatever, you're, you're going to, dude, you make a fucking penny an hour, I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> but you will be able to have something which broadcasts your spirit. And that is what that book there, Refuge, is. Yeah. It's like that is you know, my spirit and many years of my, I mean, the, the oldest image in the book is uh, from 1985 and the newest one is from 2018. Um, and so there is a, that's yeah, a long ass, ass time. There, to, I mean, to, there's some breathtaking words in here, like I was saying, but some of these images, um, I mean, so many of these ideas were forged on the sides of mountains in really, really harrowing circumstances. And that's, there is no shortcut. I mean, it's a, it's a beautifully succinct three or four lines that I read earlier. Um, but what had to happen for you to come up with those three or four lines is, is pretty, pretty interesting, pretty, pretty sobering. I'm looking at a, an image here right now of, just a ridiculously vertical drop uh, on a cliffside, <laughs> and and someone just toiling, trying to make it. Where where mountain is this from? Oh, uh, that is the um, the east face of Mont Blanc de Tacoul in the French Alps, yeah. and the Mont Blanc Massif, and uh, a, a a remarkable um, 
autumn when ice formed in places that ice hadn't formed for a long time. And uh, my friend Christoph Baudouin and I went up and did a, there's a, a, a route that was originally climbed by a, 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 a dude named Bernard Macho, which later became known as the Macho Route. And who wouldn't, you know, what young man doesn't want to <laughs> fucking climb the Macho Route? Um, and then uh, uh, two British guys later came along and did a direct finish to that route, Barton and Shaw. I don't remember their first names. Um, did a direct finish and we went and repeated that um, that that whole route. So I, I just call it the Macho Direct because it just sounds cool as fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, but, I, but yeah, I just, I'm going to memorize this thing. I'm telling you right now. I mean, it, uh, the okay. I'm going to read another little excerpt here. Okay. Um, so what is this photo from? Um, that is the west face of the Grand Charmeaux, uh, and it's my partner Scott Backies, and we had, I had. Um, so to sort of set that up, it was that same winter or that same autumn when ice was forming in places that hadn't formed in years. Um, I realized like, okay, there's, there's two new routes that I really want to fucking do in here. And, um, and I don't have a local climbing partner. So I called Scott and I said, dude, I'll buy the plane ticket. You just need to get here now. Conditions are good. Yeah. And he had a flexible enough work schedule and life and everything. And climbing is super important to him. And he was on a plane. We went up on that route, which, um, it, Th th that photograph is us realizing that the storm that we got caught by is too heavy and we need to go down. Right. So, and now so I'm going like, to, now I'm going to read the, the caption that goes with this image. Um, and this we are retreating in some distress. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's just say, right. Like, <laughs> and it's so, it's, it's so applicable to, to, to life, to everyday life, to, to almost anything. Eventually, a storm will hit harder and sooner than you expect. While ambition screams up, prudence will calmly suggest down. Entertain ambition, of course. This is often the difference between failure and success. But prudence might mean survival, and an outcome heavier than the voice of ambition is loud. Again, you know, to, to fully grasp that, I feel like I, I need to read it two or three times. But, I mean, we, we talked about some of that concept some in regards to that white rim project I was doing where um, without ambition it doesn't happen without ambition, oh, yeah. without ambition you don't you don't summit a single mountain whether it's an actual mountain or a virtual mountain but sometimes a storm does hit and you need to learn how to weigh that ambition versus the prudence and the survival and and what's the and, and you know the 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 outcome of okay, I can take this as a learning experience, you know, an accumulation of experience and knowledge um, despite a lack of success. And that is going to, that is going to pay off in the years to come. And I might not learn something. If I don't, if I don't have that discussion, you know, about, because down is super seductive always because you're going with gravity, not against it. I mean, climbing is a sport about fighting fucking gravity. It's not like, you know, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing else. It's just, it, it, it is, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a struggle. Sometimes you feel it's simple, <laughs> like the, your relationship with the, the environment is, is such that you feel very light and it doesn't feel like toil or you're 
in a contest with gravity necessarily, but for the most part it is. And, and, and so I think that the, you know, the, the, the outcome, the ultimate outcome of up is always better than down. If you're present for it, if you don't get blinded by the, the action, you know, the, 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 the act of success and you take the lessons along the way that allow for success and you, uh, you analyze yourself you know, through a step out of yourself and watch yourself throughout that whole process and throughout the aftermath, which typically, okay, you fail on something. The aftermath is where all the lessons come from. It's always the after action. It's the, it's the examination. If you can apply that same level of examination to a success and not with the intent of repeating, trying to repeat everything because you never can because the mountains are chaos. Um, but if you, if you apply the same type of examination, the same depth, the same intent to every success that you would do to every failure, then now there's not really a difference between the two in terms of individual progression, learning, and, and, uh, and the accumulation of knowledge. Yeah, it's interesting that idea of staying in touch with why you're doing a thing. So again, let's just use the example of completing some sort of challenging route, whether that be summoning a mountain or what. Are you doing it for the journey that takes place on the way to the summit or are you doing it for the Instagram post at the top? Um I, I have a, a, a good friend who's a total badass who is who I was spending time with in Jackson the last few days, Kelly Halpin, who's a mountain runner. Okay. I really want to introduce y'all, particularly because her current project is right up there. It's, oh. it's called The World, the W-U-R-L. Are you familiar yeah. with it? Yeah. Wasatch Ultimate Ridgeline yeah. link up? Yeah. So she did it for the first time last year, I believe. Okay really really impressive young woman does all of this alone did the the sketchy class five stuff in the dark on site at it did it in 27 hours she's she's okay. she's close to the women's fkt she's going yeah. back soon uh she's cashed she's cashed her water all that sort of thing going back in the next couple of weeks and uh you know all, all things going to plan who knows if that will yeah. happen um everything on paper says she should do a pretty fucking fast time okay she's really prepared wicked fit and i was really inspired by the project the more she kind of walked me through it and 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 showed me the route and because it's 32 summits over the course of 37 miles does that sound about right 36 miles so so are we t let's see it's the horseshoe the horseshoe so it's yeah um, yes, I am quite familiar with this actually. Okay. okay. I have been there. Yeah. Is that a, is that an accurate enough representation of the, yeah, it, it I mean, it's a, it's, it's big. It, it, it's big. Yeah. yeah. And I don't, so there is a female FKT on that. Yeah. No. That's what she I said. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't Cause know. she had it. I haven't paid attention to who's done it. I, I, like I, I only know well, I know about it because I, Vince Anderson and I tried to do it um, on skis. We tried to do it in, essentially in, in winter conditions, um, late spring, April, in, uh, 
I'm fucking don't 2004 maybe I'd have to um and we went we started on the north side got all the way to snowbird in 18 hours and then bailed um because we were just fucking destroyed <laughs> because I think by that time by that point it's I want to say maybe it's 15 miles and we'd done in about the same amount of elevation gain, like 14,000, 14 or 15,000 feet of climbing. Um, and, and plus we had, we, we fucked up because we had, um, my wife and nephew meet us, uh, at the top snowbird with food and water. And it, it was like, it was too easy to bail to ski down the perfect corduroy to get out. Yeah. Um, I went back two months later and did the, the snowbird out bells you know did all all the summits to go out bells um broke a ski somewhere at the top of thunder ridge or and had to get out on foot and it was totally fucked but (laughs) um so i'm i'm very familiar with the train i've been up i've done individual pieces of it in the summer so i kind of kind of get it and it's not it's um it's a beautiful and significant outing yeah 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 i that's pretty fucking cool i'm glad that people are like still into it yeah yeah and so i i'm i'm really inspired by her and i'm really inspired by by what she's doing because she's she's a young woman doing this alone and it's fucking huge and uh the level of confidence that she carries doing it is is really impressive and i know how inspired i mean it's inspiring me i can only imagine how it would inspire other young women yeah and so i mean she's she's got a good platform she has a significant following on on social media and all that sort of thing but it to me in my mind has the potential to be a real real story okay and i was nudging her a little bit about that i said you know the you have a, a certain audience here that's paying attention. I think the audience could be a lot bigger. And then we got into a conversation of, well, should that be exactly. a focus? And then do the motives get skewed? Um, and we talked about that for a while and, and sort of we, we, thought back together and I'm, I'm just old enough to remember a time when I was racing bikes and social media wasn't around. Okay. And I loved it then just as I do now. And so I, I know that I would race bikes and I would try to ride my bike far and fast regardless of whether I got to post to Instagram about it. Sure. And she feels the same way about this project. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough discussion. And then she brought up the point, you know, what is the obligation from a safety standpoint? Should we be glorifying, or not even glorifying, should we be telling should in we detail be ten- these stories? And what's interesting is... In Absolutely, this- because they are human experiences available to other human beings. They and, and if people get inspired by the idea and try to replicate it without the experience required to do so and something bad happens, fucking right on, because that's what you know we can't nerf the world and we can't protect people from their own bad decisions or for them or protect you know keep them from you know uh we can encourage them to educate themselves but it's it's 
yeah, no one, and something like that's totally fucking self-correcting anyway. Right. Like no, and that's the, you know, one of the beautiful things about climbing that I always liked is like, well, if it's too hard, you're not going to get off the ground and therefore you're not going to get hurt. Exactly. And that was, that was, uh, <laughs> when, so Alex Honnold has to put up with this question 24 seven these days, yeah. you know, is his free solo mission a bad influence? And he always says, when someone gets 10 feet off the ground without a rope, they're turning back around. Yeah. They're not continuing to go up. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and something like this, some of the, you know, the, you know, some of the terrain is accommodating enough that early on you could get, you know, some way into it, but you would rapidly understand the environment will teach you. And, you know, there's the thing, I, I think the more sort of dangerous stuff are the things that have a, 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 a low barrier, a low physical barrier to entry. Absolutely. Right. That, okay, I can take the chairlift to the top of the DH course with my bike. Or driving a car and looking at your cell phone. Low barrier of entry. <laughs> sure. Or go like, I don't know. I remember we were doing a job in Keystone with some military guys, a winter thing. And, and, uh, um, some years ago, 2010 or 2011, I think. And, uh, and so I go and like, I realize that there's, there, there's a, there is a uh, progression of terrain parks, mm-hmm. right? So you have the, the baby terrain park and then you've got the intermediate one. And then you've got the one that's only open for competitions or if you've got some kind of, you know, pass or some shit because you've proved yourself that you're not going to fucking stack it. Um, if you go there, like all you need to do is take one or two runs in the baby terrain park to realize that. There's no fucking way you're qualified to go over to the big boy thing. No matter what you saw the good guys doing, no matter how great it looked and how you want to have done that rather than do all of the training and preparation and get the years of experience that allow you would, would allow you to actually do it. And, and I think climbing is that, that way. The danger I think is, 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 are those things where, oh, you can, you can rent a downhill bike and you can take it to the top of the downhill course up at fucking the, the canyons or someplace or North shore and like get in serious fucking trouble. Um, or, you know, the prol- proliferation of like, okay, it's, it's super easy to access, you know, to get into base jumping now. Fuck. And there's something where, but, but then again, you know, I look at that and I go, well, there's a fucking pretty serious physical barrier too, because you got to look over the edge. And if you don't have the experience, then you're probably not, you're not going to just trust like, this thing's going to work. Right. Like you're, it it won't happen. So in some, you know, a lot of times for me, it's just like, look, if human beings are doing it and they're able to do it, regardless of the skill that they have while they're doing, you know, it's like, don't try this at home. Well, yeah, don't try this at all. (laughs) Like you, I'm not going to give a, you know, I don't think anybody's obligated to give a warning or obligated to withhold anything because if they are human beings and able to do it, other human beings are able to do it. It's the only bad results are going to come from human beings who didn't understand the process that it takes that would allow them to be able to do it and accomplish it safely and progress and, you know, out of it. And, um, and I think, you know, lack of education should be punished always. So I got no problem with it. Yep. 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 I like it. Which should take us to Mount Everest. (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I mean, just, 
you know, you did say that I did. I did. Let's 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 talk about it. So this this uh, seemingly horrifying photo surfaced recently of the summit of Mount Everest and looked like Walmart on Black Friday. Exactly. Yeah. As someone <laughs> that is incredibly familiar with such terrain and the world that resulted in that photo or produced that photo. <laughs> What's your perspective on that situation? Because my understanding is that it was a classic example of, of leaving out some information and thus it was somewhat misleading. What was your, like when you first saw that, when image, I first like saw what it, was your impression? Uh, literally the first thing I thought is this is Photoshopped. Nice. And then the second, <laughs> and then the second. Wow. That is not as cynical as I would have like expected most people to react. I mean, yeah. but that's fucking hilarious. Like, oh, this, yeah. this can't be real. It, it looked, it didn't look real to me. <laughs> fucking, no, it didn't. Like, it doesn't. And then, and then I thought, um, there's no way that the message, I forget where I saw it first, but the message that was being sent was basically like, climbing Everest is easy and it's a, it's a tourist destination now. Tons of people are doing it. You can buy your way in, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, this doesn't add up like there's there's more going on here so then i heard that basically when you all boil it down there's only a few days a year that you can summit the thing there's more than people than was broadcast this you know like the the general consensus that there are more days Mm -hmm. um but there are not more days for those people got it got it so while i was still somewhat up. Wait, let me, excuse me, let me backtrack. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are more days in the calendar year that competent climbers can summit Mount Everest than incompetent climbers who were mostly the subjects of that picture. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, yeah, so I forget where I was going, where I was going with that, but I, I would just love to hear your perspective. And I mean, clearly it was a fucked up situation because people died because of the traffic is my understanding. Was that accurate? Um, the traffic would be the, the, the last straw, let's say, uh-huh. that, that you know, or the final drop of water or whatever. Um, but most of those people were unqualified to be there in the first place. Right. And if you take away their oxygen, they die no matter what. So fuck them. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like, I mean, and, and I mean, I've spent, a, you know, some many years thinking about this because um, Barry Blanchard and I tried to climb a new route on Everest in 1988 without ropes without oxygen without um, ropes yeah fuck the, the climbing's easy okay and and, and and so so what would you do? so let's just differentiate if he and i were going to use ropes it would be um a situation where the climbing was technical enough that the leader might fall right. and the rope would you know would prevent that fall from being fatal okay probably Okay. But we are not climbing the rope itself to get up the mountain, which is what everyone in that picture is doing. Got it. So a succession of ladders and ropes is what they're climbing. And oxygen. 
that's that, that's oxygen. that's the octane that's in the tank okay. that's the special thing that allows them to be there in the first place but but the fact like my thesis is like look you're not you didn't climb mount everest you climbed ladders and ropes on this you know you climbed the rope you climbed the, the thing and for the most part all of your loads were carried by other people that you hired to carry them or your guide service hired to carry that shit for you if you run out of oxygen you know the only reason that you have oxygen is because somebody else carried it up there for you yeah you've got a bottle in your pack but when you run out there's going to be a Sherpa next to you, hopefully, to give you a new fucking bottle if you were a little bit too greedy with the flow. And so none of this stuff and is um, like none of it has anything to do with climbing for me other than it's happening in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, because and, and the fact that people are willing to die for an accomplishment that isn't even fucking real just makes me laugh. Like, you guys, you're willing to trade your life for a bullshit thing. Like, you used oxygen, so you lowered the summit. It's like, yes, physically, geographically, whatever, you're standing, you may be the guy who gets to stand on top of the highest place in the world. You wouldn't have gotten there without the ladders, without the ropes, without people carrying your shit for you, setting up your camp, looking after you, giving you bed tea, um, uh, you know, <laughs> get, get, you know, carrying the oxygen bottles, making sure that like, like all of these things that allow access are the things that when they break down will kill you. And I don't mind that happening because the mountain should win sometimes. Like I think Everest is just like, look, you guys are trying to run a train I'm good with 200, 250. That's a bit too much today. I'm sorry. I'm going to need a human sacrifice. And the reason, and, and you know, and, and, and people did die because, of, you know, the people, they died because of the traffic jam. I said, no, they died because they weren't fucking acclimatized when they ran out. They couldn't be without modifying the environment with oxygen. They were not capable of being in the environment that they were in. So it's not the traffic that killed him. It's the lack of oxygen that killed him. It's just that they couldn't carry enough oxygen. Who who could regulate? Why does it need to be regulated? And this is because this is something that's actually come up in the news. Like Nepal needs to do more to like reduce traffic on Everest. And I'm like, it's a fucking outhouse theory. Keep all the shit in one place. And that means that, you know, so when um, Corey and Esteban, uh, Corey's a friend and they were trying to climb a new route just to the left of the thing that Barry and I tried in 88. So they were there on the north side of Everest this year. They were there without oxygen, without any support, etc. The weather conditions conspired against them, unfortunately. I think they got to 7,600 meters. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, they're over there on their own. There was no line. They're competent climbers trying to undertake something of a relatively high order. Obviously, there's not a lot of competition for that. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, on the north side, you have so the Chinese do regulate the number of permits, but it's that was gonna. That's what I was but, getting. But at. It, but it's not. I I don't. You know, Westerners come with money. Yeah, the Chinese are not necessarily doing it. You know, because they're looking after the safety of the people that want to climb, or they want to reduce the number of bad incidents or whatever. And it's not like the Nepal, you know, the Pali government is greedy um, in issuing as many permits as are possible. And it's just like, look, you want to come play on our playground? This is the fee. And, you know, um, I, I don't think they should step in and regulate it because it, it to try and mitigate the risk. I think, you know, 
they should step in and regulate it in order to reduce the environmental damage. That's what I mean. Right. It's because like people the... die. That's awesome. It's it. I mean, it's it is. Look, you pl- you play a game of risk. Yeah. People, you know, and, and, and there is no story. If there was no risk, there'd be no story afterwards. There'd right. be a lesser sense of accomplishment. Why didn't you try to climb a lower summit? Why didn't you, you know, why are you climbing at all? Yeah. Oh, because it's hard and risky. It's hard and risky. And therefore that, that, that builds social capital. If you were there because you loved it, you wouldn't be there with 200 fucking other people. You'd be on a different mountain and looking at it, you know, for a different experience. Experience. Yeah. There, this is an acquisition culture that I think needs to be fucking punished. Um, but the problem is, you know, the, that I the biggest problem is not the fucking, you know, the, the dead bodies are not polluting the environment. It's the empty Cams. oxygen cylinders. Yeah. It's the, it's just imagine, okay, that the average Everest expedition is two months and you got a thousand motherfuckers. That's a thousand fucking people taking one shit every day for two months okay 60 days whatever so now we've got and that's an accumulation of years and years and years and years so there's the third problem (laughs) and somebody said some you know comment about like the fecal time bomb or whatever who knows what's going to happen with that but that's just like okay there's one aspect but then it's all of the food containers it's all like if you just look at a dump down here and try and imagine then like a highly concentrated version of that up there. There's, you know, un, unuseful fixed ropes that are still in place. There's fucking broken ladders. There's, bl- I mean, if you, like some of the pictures of the, um, that I shot in 88, even of like, of, of the slopes below the North Call of Everest, where you got, you know, every year, let's say it snows 12 or 15 feet. So there's like a layer and you can see like some places where these layers of you know, have moved in the, 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 the front of that particular sort of ice cliff that was made by all the, the by the compression of all the snow calves off. And then you can see the layers from every single year and you can see like bits of old tents and you can see all this trash at every single one of those layers, you know, um, th- th- that is a horizontal line across this vertical cliff face of ice. It's like that. Okay. All that shit's going to, eventually it's going to make its way. It's going to take a long time, but it will make its way into the water table. It'll make its way down the glacier. It'll eventually get spit out. Yeah. Some of it's going to get ground up and this and that, but you know, the, the environmental impact is, is enormous. And that's the thing that I think should be visited, not, you know, whether there's like to try and reduce the risk so that more people can fulfill their recreational ambitions with less risk. So what do you, what is the solution for that? Do you think? I don't think there's a problem. No, the environmental, the environmental problem. Um, you, you know, make people post a financial bounty basically. Um, you know, or, 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 you know, make, put it in escrow, put a certain amount of money in escrow and they need to bring more trash out than they took in. Like if you don't come out with more weight than you took in, you you sacrifice the money. And many people would be willing to pay that financial penalty, but that's fine because you know that just ideally doesn't get misused by the Nepali government. But you know, um, uh, but 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 there is a risk that it might. Um, in 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 any case, it's 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 like you you know that they, they um, on on Denali they instituted a a, a fee. 
and I was really against it, argued strongly against, you know, having to pay a fee to use public land, essentially. But then I realized, like, okay, people are, there needs to be a fund to pay for people to clean up after assholes and not just sphincters. I mean, but, you know, yeah, asshole, no. <laughs> ass, asshole behavior. Yeah. Um, so, I'm okay with it. And they, you know, same with Yosemite. Now you can't, you know, there used to be a thing on El Cap, you know, you'd shit into a paper bag and you'd throw it off. And, um, and sometimes you'd put lighter fluid on it and ignite it and try and hit other parties on different parts of the wall or whatever. So, you know, cause then you could scream flaming shit bag and what cooler thing is there to shout from the side of a cliff. But, um, so now that, you know, you have to carry a tube and you shit in the tube and you got to like carry your, tube full of shit and it's the same thing on McKinley you've got a little bucket and you shit in the, you shit in the bucket and you carry the bucket with you and 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 just that process alone makes you way more aware of the impact you might be having on the environment that you're doing your thing in and so I you, you know there, there there have been regulations that ha- have been imposed on other areas that were sort of environmentally at risk in the mountains in that same situation um, and I think Nepal was initially, you know, not aware or not that interested because they thought it might limit the income from, yep. you know, mountain tourism. Um, but I think now they're in a position where it's like, hey, we got the we got the one fucking resource in the world that no one else has, and that's yeah. the highest point on earth. And and we have the you know the easier route, let's say, to the top of it. It's a bit harder from the north side. It's a little bit colder on that side. Um, you know, whatever the, the, you know, it's so that they, they have it within their means. It's not going to, there won't be a huge financial hit if they impose those regulations. And ultimately I'd rather go to a place that was, you know, as a climber, I'd rather go to a place that was cleaner than, than that. But, but I'm also willing, I'm just like, okay, there needs to be some sacrificial zones. And if Everest on the south side, if, if you know, if, if, if that route is the sacrificial zone that like, okay, all bets are off. You want to, you know, do whatever the fuck you want as long as you pay, um, you know, litter as much as you, that's, that's fine because, you know, right next door is Lhotse, right next door is Nipsey, right next door is Makalu, right next door, you know, you have Pumori, you have Gayachinkang, you have all these other peaks that, that just means that those things aren't getting obliterated because all the assholes are in that one place. Hence why I call it the outhouse theory. Interesting. Well, that makes sense. (laughs) Payson, you're tired. I am tired. I I can feel it. No, no, I'm tired. (laughs) I'm very tired. But also, you're blowing my mind. I mean, it's... I didn't realize it was that bad, honestly. Oh, dude. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that bad. I mean, and and if you just... like if you just look at if um, I'll send you the I think it's Corey underscore Richards. Um, if you just look at the photos they posted from from their time on the north side of Everest, you're like, wow, this looks idyllic, you know, mm. wonderfully isolated, and mm-hmm. this and that. And then you go over and see the people because they went up on the normal route on the north side um, that goes up the north, you know, north call to the north ridge. And they went up there to acclimatize a little bit. And the photographs from that, you're just like, okay, that's a different planet. Mm-hmm. And then you walk, you know, a couple of kilometers into you know to the east no one's out there interesting and and that's also why the route that barry and i tried in 88 and the route that 
Corey and Esteban tried this year, um, that one of the reasons there's no one out there is because those things are hard. They still have not been climbed. Oh, wow. I mean, the thing that buried, that's 30 years ago. Is that 30 years? Yeah, I guess. Wow. Wow. 98, 08, 20, yeah. It's 30 years. That route still hasn't been climbed. Um, but that's, you know, that's also a comment on the, the state of climbing today in, in, in a sense that there's, there's quite a bit more interest in, you know, acquiring, collecting, let's say the easy routes. Um, or at least that's the stuff that's, that's most publicized because you're not, you're not hearing volume versus. Yeah. yeah. Or like if you think, okay, um, I mean, David Lama did an incredible route by himself in Nepal, um, before the, uh, before the avalanche in the Canadian Rockies this spring, um, they, they killed him, uh, but he, it's, it's a route that he and Conrad had tried, and Conrad had a heart attack and, you know, managed to get down and fucking survive, and it's amazing. I mean, it's a beautiful fucking peak. And David went back and did it, and there's like, yeah, Red Bull put up a little bit of stuff about it, but it's not, it wasn't a mainstream thing. When it, you know, if you want to start looking at, like, human achievement, human potential, that's interesting. People standing in line to climb Mount Everest, you know, imagine— and, and and to me, the, 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 the image of the people on the summit ridge, okay, that's the, the, you know, the one that was blasted on social media. That's, that's, um, that's one thing. That's the one that's out there um, where you realize like, oh, yeah, it's you know, kind of a knife-edge situation and that there is no, it's not a two-lane sort of fucking deal. Yeah. You know, right? So, um, but there were other images and videos from lower down where people are stuck in the ice fall. Because guys couldn't figure out how to climb the ladder, couldn't figure out how to climb the rope to get past this technical thing. And people are just standing in a place that I personally, as a climber, would never volunteer. Like, okay, if I, if I couldn't find a way to get past this dangerous section, the only time limit that there would be would be the, the, the speed at which I could fucking run. Like, and, and you would go through with your partner one at a time and you'd just like try to eliminate, you know, tr tr try to limit the number of man minutes, you know, or man hours, if you will, that you're exposed to that danger. But there's fuckers standing around just waiting, taking selfies, fucking looking at their phones and shit in this, what, what is actually an incredibly dangerous fucking situation. But because they are there with a bunch of other people, like, somehow the risk just get it it, it, like it, it feels safe because if it wasn't safe no one else would be here mm. and and if it was re you know if it was as dangerous as you know twight says it is you know well why are there 40 people here i'm like because the motherfucker up there can't climb the ladder and get out of your way like it's it, or the fact that okay i've paid like i don't understand the mountains because i'm a paying client right yeah i climbed Rainier and then they tricked me into going to McKinley and that was that was really fucking hard but then but then once I did that then they sold me on this and and so I'm thinking that I'm a paying client and one of the things I pay for is to have all risk eliminated or mitigated in some way so they must it must be okay to stand here because they have made it safe <laughs> which is completely untrue if you just go back two years or three years or um, now I can't remember exactly when there was you know an earthquake and that caused a you know, a huge event in the ice fall and killed a bunch of fucking people. You go, well, no, it's not that safe, folks. And just the fact that there are other people there doesn't make it so, but it does prove that every one of you as an individual is incapable of making a decision related to self-preservation. Mm -hmm. That's all this says. Yeah. yeah. But nice selfie. <laughs>
Uh, it's like the people in the Tour de France these days that are causing massive pileups by taking selfies too. Like standing out, get, you know, running out in the road. To try, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a whole other subject. Also, I'd like to give a shout out to the fact that it's midnight seventeen, and I feel like some Whoa. kind of badass right now. Nice, even though I'm exhausted. Nice, badass <laughs> podcaster. You're it, committed to your craft, man. Oh, so much so, man. I I have not come. Nothing else that I've done to this point has come so close to the love that I have for bike racing. Nice. This this podcasting, uh, I still love bike racing more, but this is this is getting pretty close. It shows in what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, the, the fact that um, yeah, the energy that you put into it, the feeling that the, the episodes have, and the conversations, and the fact that you just like okay, I'm going to take it on the road. I'm going to have the conversations where they happen. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's clear that, um, it's scratching an itch. Yeah. Appreciate that. I hope one day to have a studio like this. That well, would be cool. Anytime you come through Salt Lake, if you want to come and have a conversation, bring guests in, whatever, and use it. Appreciate this, that. Uh, Appreciate that very much. Uh, Mikasa Sukasa, something yeah. like that, or our studio. You know, yeah. Well, when feel Kelly, free. when Kelly knocks out her Wasatch, Ridgeline link up. We'll uh, we'll have her in here and do a breakdown. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully she's gonna wait till temperatures cool a little bit because right now it would not. It it the the water requirement right now would be way high. Be high. Yeah. yeah, I'm actually gonna shoot her a text and tell her how warm it is here because one of the things she was stressing about is, um, the decision of hurrying up and doing it now so that she could just slide down one of the last oh pitches yeah. using using the the moisture the, the, that's still there the snow yeah the snow but needing an axe for parts of it probably right. or um waiting, waiting till it's completely dry and going a more conservative route but also not having to take an axe yeah yeah i i don't know i i that's yeah I, I, I know what she's talking i know that the, the <laughs> situation you know, the situation what, that she's talking about i mean you could you could you know cash the gear that you needed yeah you know if you were if you were willing to go because at the point because when vince and i were trying to figure it out like okay how are we going to do this we think we can get this done in 24 hours but we can't carry enough from the start so we need to go and and um my friend jared he went up and stashed like dry socks and a couple gallons of water at one place that we knew that we okay we can get there in like eight hours so um we knew that was there and then we knew okay if we have that then we can get all the way to snowbird we're going to need another so but once you once you decide to start cashing shit then there's no limit to what you can cash yeah right like why draw the line between water and an ice axe right right like right. if i don't need the ice axe for the first fucking two-thirds of this thing why would i carry it yeah, yeah you know yeah, especially yeah. when i can just like do a training run and stash yeah, it yeah you know? true 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 um yeah yeah because yeah, one yeah i i, I it's 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 funny. I mean, we've because we talked about we were talking earlier um, on the previous podcast we recorded today um, about the arbitrary line regarding you know supplements versus supplements that really work, um, and <laughs> but the, you know there's the, the rules and then there's, and then there's adhering to them and and a lot of those things are are arbitrary, and something like that situation. I mean, one of the things that I thought about the White Rim Project was. They were just like, well, 
I think we need to set a st- you need to set a standard for where the start and the finish is and how you do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you chose the harder standard rather than the easier. I chose to that's the way I looked at it. Do the you- the the, <laughs> the the every man every woman's routing. It's funny the the only reason we even tried a standardization route is and it, it turned into such a ball of wax but the only reason we chose to do well here's a fun backstory. I wanted to optimize. I wanted to start at the bottom of Schaefer. Okay. And there are a handful of people who some of whom you know personally who talked me out of that. Oh they, my. They said no, you need to do it the way that is uh most commonly done and it will be the most relatable to um the average recreational rider with the idea being what makes the leadville 100 so successful the world champion and the person that finishes at 11 hours and 59 minutes have the same experience same start line same finish line everyone can relate to each other everyone hits power line at mile 70 with cramps up to their ears and the person in 11th place and below is hiking up it but they can go seek out the person that finished third and pick their brain about how they were able to clean the climb 70 hours in and not cramp and there's that there's that commonality and so that's what we were going for that's why we tried to standardize there's a fundamental misunderstanding there though is that that you should standardize for the fkt attempt not for the sort of standard tourist and i don't say that you know experience and i don't use that term derogatory for sure no yeah so um because like for because there's a there's a differentiation there between the race and the adventure and most people are going out there and yeah they're going to start at you know 313 and and go down the mineral bottom road or whatever and finish on schaefer um because that's the thing that because they just want to have the experience they just want to do the thing they're not trying to do it fast right but if you're trying to do it fast, then you should do it in the way that is the fastest possible because for sure someone's going to come up right behind you or <laughs> maybe happened. be the person to do that, whose record you were trying to, you know, to, yeah. to be who you were trying to be. But, you know, who, who did is, in the in, in the more geographically accommodating way. Yeah, we were like, trying to do both those things. Exactly. That's the problem is we were trying to set an FKT and inspire the hearts of all the people that just want to go out there. Yeah. We were trying to use this headliner of new record to get more people out there enjoying the route. Yeah. Um, and it was our feeling. And in hindsight, I don't know if I would change anything. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, w- it was our feeling that we needed to create this sort of but it's a funny. But it's a funny thing. It's like okay, it didn't. It did, like by starting at the bottom of Schaefer, rather than at three thirteen. Yeah. Y- you you make it. You don't make it shorter. Right. You don't. Re- you know because you still got to do the hundred miles. Yeah. Or ninety nine point whatever whatever it is exactly. I don't know. It's a really but, frustrating ninety nine point seven. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> frustrating. Um, but so you're not reducing the distance. You were just organizing the difficulty in a way that allows for a faster time theoretically right and and, yeah and it's funny because in a lab setting dude i don't doing schaefer would actually be faster theoretically doing schaefer last would be faster because you're lighter 
you've consumed all of your fluids and so your theoretically your power to weight ratio should be better but what that doesn't account for is that i don't care how good a bike racer you are doing that climb at mile 90 with cramps up to your ears you're bleeding time left and right oh yeah and it's and you can be just as light going up that climb initially if you leave all your fucking water at the top yeah yeah and i don't know where i stand on that the the caching thing it is still self-supported theoretically um yeah i don't know i mean there's so many ways to skin that i mean i look i I look at it you know okay I'm, i'm climbing a route in the mountains and on the the last day Let's say this route we did on Mount Bradley in the winter in Alaska. And the last day, you know, you go, you know, finish the route and you go back down the same way. Mm-hmm. Right. So I didn't carry my fucking sleeping gear to the top. Right. Right. I right. left it where we last slept because yeah. I was coming back to get it. And yeah. so I look yeah. at, you know, something like, um, so you're, you're, we always try to organize things, to, you know, to, to it, to our advantage. Sometimes, yeah. you know, it's a survival thing. Sometimes it's a success thing. Sometimes it's a record thing, a speed yep. thing. Yep. Um, but we, but I, I, I can't, you know, I personally, I would like to see what happens, you know, when you, if you ever recover the fire for that particular thing yeah, yeah. to see what happens done in a way with like every single possible hack, if you will. Yeah to cover the distance, but to do so in the most efficient way possible. And to me, that's just like, you know, you, all the weight is at the top of Schaefer. You either coast down it to start or you get driven down and you get, you know, you start it however, however you do it. Um, but all of the little tweaks that you could do to gain, it's a minute here, it's a minute there, it's three minutes there, it's 30 seconds here. You know, all of those things that would normally go into an FKT in the mountains. A race. A, yeah. You know, a, 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 a race, whether organized or, you know, um, let's just say theoretical. I don't know what yeah. the right word is exactly right, here right, for yeah. this because yeah. it's not on a particular day or whatever. Right, right. Um, I, ha- I got a weird message this morning from someone that I don't think lives in the, lives in the United States. And it said, Hey, what was your race number for the white rim? I would like to use the same number for when I go ride the white rim. Thanks for doing it. I can't wait to do it on my vacation. And I was like, okay, cool. But I don't think you quite, grasp That's what this was <laughs> any number but 13 <laughs> yeah <laughs> actually i'm the kind of person that would pick 13 and then just play because it. would you but would you pin it on upside down fuck no I, i'm not okay. superstitious you're too young for that you make your own luck oh i like that <laughs> do you want to see the film yeah yeah i'll show it to you oh fuck um, yes yeah I think that might be about all I have juice for, unless you wanted to cover I'm, something else. I'm, 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 I'm also. I think we've covered. Uh, I, I haven't even been looking, but it's been two hours. Yeah. So <laughs> it's almost five hours of podcasting <laughs> oh today. Crush yes. it! Yes, yes. Someone That's pay good. us. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> I'm not trying. Somebody pay Payson. Somebody his 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 podcast is he's gets way more interesting people than we do. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Speaking of, where can people can people still buy refuge? Is it still available? Or yeah. Is it sold out. Um, the 
standard version, which is just the book, not with the slipcase and the and the uh, and the additional proofs and some personal communication. Um, uh, the standard, I think we have a couple of hundred copies left right now. Um, those are uh, you can you can only buy them from the store on our website, which is uh, nonprofit.media. So n o n p r o p h e t. We'll play on words. Media. Yeah. Yeah, and if you wanted to send us an email, you could send it to nonprofit at nonprofit dot media. That's our <laughs> that's our private email address. Also, another joke. We don't get a lot of email there, but um, uh, so that's that's uh, where you could buy the book or uh, eventually win the anthology. The anthology is actually it's it's will uh, the covers are being laminated and finished, and the book will be bound this next week. So after August 1st in the store, we should have the anthology. We haven't decided on a price yet, but, um, and then there, there's some t-shirts there, et cetera. Um, that's, you know, underscore nonprofit underscore on Instagram. What Where did you get do? your handle? Yeah. I understand the WFT component, but is, is or the MFT component? Is that motherfucking no. WFT? No, no, no. Um, it actually started so so it, so, so some MFT are your initials yeah, are my initials yeah but we're so your Instagram account is WFMFT yes what's the WF um it's not my creation I, I gotta I'm gonna absolve myself okay. of that um and it, it started uh in conversation with Brian Enos who's a competitive shooter one of my shooting mentors one of the the you know greatest shooters from North America certainly in the in in the early eras of Ipsic and the Steel Challenge and all the practical shooting competitions, uh, Bianchi Cup and all the three gun stuff. Um, uh, it, 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 an amazing guy. He was on our podcast. I can't remember which episode, um, but he's a mentor and and, and uh, he had uh, on his forum he was talking about me at some point and he had one of the greatest sort of comp- and it still exists. It's like it is the one of the largest. Competitive. I guess it's. He said, "Yeah, it's it's not the largest shooting forum, but it's the largest competitive shooting forum um, on the internet." And that's just at brianenos.com. And uh, he was talking about me to some people because at some point about climbing or this or that or my, you know, the shooting that I had done. And and um, and he referred to me as WFMFT. And so I was like, "What is that?" And he goes, "Oh, that's the world famous Mark fucking uh-huh. Clay." And so then, so wait, is the is F actually your middle initial? Yeah, Francis. Okay. Yeah. Um. So MFT is that those are my actual initials yeah. and he put the WF on the front. But then when I went for an Instagram handle, so sometime when uh, the, the very early days of Instagram, when it first started, I had a guy that was sort of managing the website and stuff for us at, um, at Gravel North America and at Jim Jones and that. And, and, uh, and I'm pretty sure he went and bought up you know, like he, you know, there's, there's a Facebook account under Mark Twite. I think he he set that up, and then he he grabbed the Instagram account under Mark Twite, mm. um, etc. But I don't know what the passwords are to those things. Mm-hmm. So I can go to Mark Twite on Instagram, and there is a portrait of me. <laughs> there are no, I think there's one post, and there's you know some followers, and then I'm just like, I that that's Sorry, guys. that's me, but I can't use me. So fuck it, I'll just use Brian's thing. It'll be funny. You need a blue check. Uh, yeah, does that is that gonna is that gonna help me sell more zines? 
Oh, it, for sure. But I mean, it, just in general, it'll <laughs> it'll steer people away from the fake Mark Twight account now. It, but nobody posts there because nobody knows what the fucking password is. <laughs> like, I don't think. Lost in um, time. Lost in time. So it was a, a funny thing. Like, And I remember it was this kid, John Green, and he was saying, we've got to snap this shit up so that other people don't get it and start posting you know, as if they're you. And I was like, Pfft. Well, I can't even post as if I'm me <laughs> under my own name. So not too worried. Yeah, I don't even remember what it was. He may have sent it to me in an email that's so fucking far in the past. Yeah, I'll never, never you know, find it. it. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so that's kind of that's how that happened. And now I just go with it. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, I'll give you a a a, a pre showing of Standing Man. Nice. That's the name of the film. I look forward to that. Thank you. Thank you. I look forward to that. And then I, but, but more importantly, um, I look forward to when you recover your desire to yeah, get, yeah, that, yeah. get that buckle You know what's back. funny? If I do it again, <laughs> I'm not going to tell anybody. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to have any photographs, no video, just the opposite, basically. I'll do it for me. There's part of me. Would photographs and video take away from that? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously a huge team and that you got to like try and manage personalities and the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And deal with, you know, whatever. There, there, there's that influence. But if you're just like, hey, you know, you call someone the day before you're going to do it and you go, hey, I'm going to do it tomorrow. And that person just happens to decide to go out there and yeah. is there on the one spot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What's funny is that person might get a nice ride out of it also. (laughs) Yeah, true. Because, (laughs) because, um, social media, because the film has been delayed, most of the attention has been on social media and the storytelling has been via social media. And as we've been talking about, it has thus been shallow, the storytelling. Sure. And also because of that, I feel like it's been misconstrued in some ways and the the original motivation was using the fkt aspect the speed aspect the record aspect as a vehicle as a hook it was literally the first line and what we were interested in were all the paragraphs of story that got told underneath Ah. that first line yes Somewhere along and the, the fact way, that you went and did the reconnaissance with your dad. Exactly. That, like, you know, there's, exactly. there's a lot there. Exactly. And somewhere along the way, that got misinterpreted as a competitive thing centrally. And, and all of a sudden, there's a lot of ego involved, some by myself, some by others. Yeah. And the project became understood for something completely different than what we set out for it to be known as. Yeah. And so that's why I say I would love to go back out there. And there's there's a part of me that would love to go back out, optimize, like you're saying, optimize everything. Just to see if what and you can when, do. If and when I, if I were to take the record back, don't tell anybody. Don't even post to Strava. I kind of like no, that idea. Post to Strava, but don't say anything about it. Yeah, that because other people will do it for you at that point. Yeah, right, and just say no. That, I, like I, I almost just want to have it for me, is what I'm saying. Okay, like and maybe potentially even forget Strava. Like have a fun thing where I put a stopwatch at the top of Schaefer, and just hit start, get on my bike and go, come back around, hit the stopwatch, just strip it all away. So know. no computer on the bike. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. That'd be a cool. That'd be that'd be that'd be. That'd be cool. it, the interesting thing is that there are 
because it's wide open, like it's free. You yeah. can just like go up there and do it. Mm-hmm. There's no, like you don't have to go through the playoffs to get there or whatever yeah. to the yeah. arena. Um, there's any number of different experiences that can be had on that geographic feature, you know, yep. with that particular tool. Yep. And, you know, somebody who goes out there, I mean, I, sometime last autumn, I was, I went out to middle, I went down middle bottom and then I rode out to Moses. Um, so you'd turn off the white rim at a certain point. And, uh, and it was, it was cool because I was watching people coming towards me. You know, like I'm going the opposite direction. I'm watching people and they've obviously been out there for two or three days. Like they, I got a camping adventure mm-hmm. on that thing. And I'm just like, well, that's not the experience I would want to have on this, mm-hmm. but it's super cool that that's part of it. And, mm-hmm. and so you could do the totally self-supported camping trip and spend a couple of nights or you know, you could do it with vehicle support. You know, they, they guide it with vehicle support and, Stuff like that. So there's any number of experiences, but I also think that like a skin suit and the fucking you know bottle in the jersey pocket and one on the bike, it's fucking proud man. That kicks yeah. ass. Reckless. <laughs> oh, so reckless. Reckless abandon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would also take three <laughs> bottles next time. For the record. <laughs> really? Yeah. So learning the, exper- like you could optimize performance. Yeah. In hindsight, based on experience, my heart rate did some weird shit that we've never seen. Nice. That was probably hydration related. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like 185 beats per minute at endurance power in the last two hours. Like pretty fucked up shit. But you could (laughs) still get it that high. And just like feverish for hours afterward. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You had that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it was, it was, we tried a thing. Yeah. Learned a lot. You had the endurance flu afterwards. And you would not believe the number of people that I get approached by now that have no idea about any of the official races I've won and they know about the white room. Yeah. Yeah. And that's cool to me. That, that is something we were after. So anyway, that's really cool. The thing that those that people should know about that that I would like to see more if if that story is available to be told still in some way and maybe it's the you know maybe it's a podcast discussion at some point is about the stage race in Mongolia. Yeah. Cuz that just seems to me like like okay, that that's cool. that's cool adventure right there. Yeah. I mean, it's racing, but it's also n- not in like nerfed conditions or whatever yeah not yeah the that that, that was seems insane. out yeah. there the white rim that and one other race experience are to this point top three probably top three life experiences actually honestly. tell me this yeah. um could you write something about that yes happily so one of the zines that we'll do that it's it, i don't know if it's going to happen this year um, we're going to, we'll do a double issue and I'm going to, and it's going to be called the Soviet issue. Um, and it'll start basically with two trips that I took to the Soviet Union in 1990 and 91. I'll write some stuff, a little bit about the climbing, but most of that shit's been written all, you know, about already, but mostly, um, uh, about the, all the stuff that went around, like being able to do those climbs, like go, you know, we listened to the entire first Gulf War on a shortwave radio Whoa. in the f- middle of Kazakhstan, Fuck. you know, like, um, 
which was pretty, you know, that was semi heavy. <laughs> um, but, but to be, think about like, okay, the wall came down in 89 and we were, I was like, I think some of the first people to start going yeah. there in a, in a free way, let's say. Yeah. And I know there was some, you know, there was special invitation and, you know, organized events and that thing beforehand. Certainly a lot of, a lot of Americans have been there climbing, you know, before we went, but, uh, it, it was, um, something where we could go and decide what we wanted to do. And, um, and so it, it, that'll be kind of the skeleton. Um, Staley's going to contribute something because he was, I think he spent 10 days in Siberia on a sort of, a, of an adventure type thing. Um, Trevor went over um, because uh, wind tunnel time for, you know, free fall training in Russia was super cheap. Hmm. And he basically said, yeah, I accumulated like fucking 11 hours in the tunnel for what it would have cost uh, me to do like one or two hours here in the West. Uh, and then they, and then they did a, um, they they did a little n- nighttime trespass, jump off a building type event. Uh, okay. Um, uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> I I know a couple of other people who've been there for climbing in the past or whatever. But but I just would like to include anyone's stories about that. You know, they've been on a trip to that continent. Mm-hmm. Um, the it, Soviet it, influence there is very apparent. Oh man! If, and do you guys did you go through Ulaanbaatar? I mean, yeah, that, that's where the race yeah. started and ended. <sighs> Holy, yeah, wow. what a, I mean, crazy, crazy situation. Yeah, yeah, that'd be super cool. So as that, I, as this idea develops, um, I need to go. I need to take a little tr- road trip down to Southern Utah to try and find Ace, who was the photographer who was with me on both those trips, and uh, get a scanner and some of his, you know, in the presence of some of his slides. I've got some dupes, but um, and I'm having my lab right now scan. I've got like. 20 or 30 slides that they're doing right now um good scans of so that we can you know get them in the zine staley's got some great imagery obviously and you know it it, it'd be interesting to have a a a story about like a a modern Mm -hmm. modern trip there i mean i think staley Staley, but i think both staley and trevor were there very very recently um and the only person that i know that was there a little bit you know around the time i was or a little bit after um she just sent me a text back and said like i don't really feel that I have much to say from the perspective now of writing about something like that back then. And mm. I was like, Oh, well, and anyway, I, and, and, uh, Staley, when he was through last time we recorded a podcast, I told the whole story about both my trips to the summer and the winter trip to, to, um, to those mountain ranges. And, um, that'll be released. Um, the story of, um, uh, my friend Dalila, who was working, uh, in Moscow for a week. And, I kind of sent her on this mission to find a camera for me and she spent a day and went to six different camera shops and eventually found this Kiev three that was made in 1948 <laughs> um, for me. And so we have a podcast about that, that we recorded with when she was here. So we've got a bunch of other support to talk about these things mm-hmm. and it'd be, that'd be cool to kind of just sit down mm-hmm. and I'll sit down with Trevor cause he's in and out a lot. Um, talk a little bit about their, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I would. That's I would love to yeah. to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. Adventure. Yeah. Gladly. Cool. Yeah. Changed my life. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Um, shall we? Yeah. Let's just say that uh, that's installment number two. Yep. In an ongoing series. I don't know. Indeed. I think at first I'll put these back to back, and then we'll see when the third one happens. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Thank you, man. Thanks, Mark. This show is edited and produced by my wonderful younger sister, 
Lily McKelvin. She's over in the United Kingdom uh, navigating her final years of school, navigating Brexit, I suppose, um, and navigating editing this podcast and delivering it to y'all's ears in a far more cleaned up fashion than I send it to her. Thank you, Lillers. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the adventure stash. And little tip here, if you're interested in some adventure stash t-shirts, the only way to get those now is to become a sustaining member at patreon.com slash the adventure stash. If you commit $10 or more a month, we'll send you one for free. Otherwise, they're not going to be for sale anymore. Uh, we're still figuring out this online store situation, which is coming. Um, but I think we're still a month or two out because we want to do it right. We want to have everything in place so things just flow instead of the uh, somewhat tumultuous time we had the last go around with <laughs> merchandise sales. Also, please subscribe to the show. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Continue to spread the word on social media, uh, just word of mouth. I think that's really what's maintaining the momentum at this point Um, because we haven't really promoted it much, honestly. We might run some Instagram ads here in the near future if all goes smoothly, but by and large, y'all are making this happen. So thank you for that. Help us keep up this momentum. Lots more coming. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next Tuesday with an episode. Mm, I don't know who we're going to run next week. This is kind of the fun thing of being ahead of schedule in terms of having a bunch of episodes in the can. Um, hmm. It's going to be a surprise. Catch you then.